everyone, and welcome to Luke and Monger Recap. It is February, not in February anymore, it's March 3rd of 2021. March. It's March again. As much as we're all in denial about it, it's March. <laughs> yes, here we are. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Are you excited to be back in March? Um, Are you excited to like fully recognize a year of your life was kind of lost to a certain extent? Time is, a, is an illusion. Yes. It is... Uh, it is measured uh, in concepts that are galactic and uh, depend on the movement of celestial bodies. Uh, and uh, they don't actually really have anything to do with the way that we live our lives. So um, I'm avoiding answering your question. Okay. Because I don't want to come to the reality of the situation. So there you go. That's fine. That's perfectly understandable. It is. Um, that's the way we all should live with it in denial. In denial. Yep. Yeah. And then awesome. maybe, and then maybe, uh, I'll have gifted you a deed to a house, and all your grief will come out, Nick, and you'll create a new universe. Okay. This I mean, is. Are a, you referencing? Something? Yeah, this is Wandavision. Aren't you watching Wandavision? Oh, oh yeah, I have been watching it. Yes. Uh, um i just didn't make the connection there mm -hmm. um i found out yeah. a detail that hurt myself the other day um which is so the the first episode the calendar with the heart on it that wasn't for the hearts the calendar was the deed that got transformed into the calendar because there was and it's like oh it's a little sadder Aww. now that i think about it <laughs> that's why they couldn't remember what the date was for mm. it's Hmm. There you go. Great show. Everybody should yeah. watch WandaVision if you haven't. It's it's very good. Um it's um you may depending on how you feel about cheesy sitcoms, you might not like uh the general setup, but trust me, there is a lot more to it than that. Yeah. And if you are any type of Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe fan and you've been like sleeping on it because you didn't like the black and white uh commercials and stuff, it's it's definitely worth sitting through. Yeah. Um, so. Oh yeah. I was also very happy with the uh, the reveal of the importance of a certain character because I really liked them uh, uh, before that point anyway. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good show all the way around. Don't want I don't want to spoil too much that we already have, but uh, really good one. Highly recommend watching it. Um, I also also when a certain character shows up. I completely forgot that he had been in the cinematic universe before because most of the Ant-Man movies just oh. kind of like <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, Agent Wu? Did you even did you even Wait, catch did, <laughs> did you even catch the detail that he does close-up magic now too? No, Tumblr had to tell me about that. <laughs> Why are you still going to Tumblr, Nick? They took the porn off. What's the point? My girlfriend has a Tumblr, so I mm. keep track of the stuff that she Now it's adorable. <laughs> so now, now I feel like the monster here, which is okay. The only thing that I know about that has to do with Tumblr is the stuff that she sees and then reblogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I found out about the 80s synth version of Linkin Park's Numb. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I think I've heard that a couple times. Or I've at least heard an 80s remix of Numb. So mm. pretty good. We have manga to talk about this week. A lot. Including um, World Trigger, which came out today and I didn't find out about until minutes before we started recording. And boy, did I pick a week to not read the chapter ahead of time. 
Because <laughs> there's no way I've processed all the stuff that they talk about. Uh, but we will get into it. Transitioning from one superhero series to another with My Hero Academia. Chapter 303, top three. Should have waited 30 more chapters before doing this one, obviously. 333, top three would have been so much better, but oh yeah. well. Hawks and Best Genist, who were listening somewhat to the conversation the Todoroki were, family were having from outside, now enter the hospital room. And uh, Hawks uh, is like, yeah, uh, I've been gathering some info since yesterday. And before he can actually continue the thought, Ray is performing Dogeza in front of him. She's like bowing deeply to the ground. And she says, I'm so sorry for what our son did to you. And it's like, wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, because, you know, Dobby burned his freaking wings off. That's not cool. But Hawks is very like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You know, he's trying to be very positive about this. And <laughs> there's a, I love how, like, the joke's been around for a few weeks, uh, I guess, more consistently. But now we're just at the point with best genus. Because he goes over to Ray and says, oh, no, we were eavesdropping and that feels criminal, like illegal denim. And Ray just thinks as he's like, you know, becking her off the ground, like, what, what's the illegal fuck denim? are you <laughs> talking about? <laughs> and it's like, because and that's perfect because I was like, well, what does that mean? Oh, no, she doesn't know what that means either. OK, I get it. <laughs> are illegal jeans like I remember that was also a joke in Simpsons. Uh, like the episode where Marge becomes a cop, they're selling like, like stole like illegal denim out of her out of like the the garage there, and that's like how the episode kind of wraps up. But is are like is like illegal denim a thing? I don't know. It must be. Hold on, I had to search this up because it's like, why? Like counterfeit jeans, I guess, but like. I don't, I'm trying to see if there's like any news to this. Like, I mean, is it most clothing made in very unethical ways? <laughs> I do know that uh, jeans are like really highly valued uh, in some countries because they're so rare. Mm. Uh, so they're a lot more, you know, they're a lot more of a commodity. But I've never heard of them being illegal before. Especially because, like, he's talking about the materials if it's illegal. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it's this is an actual reference to something that happens in real life, but it's just a really deep reference. So, what if it's like denim, but on the other side it's like velvet? So, like, Ooh. it feels really Ooh. good on the inside, but on the outside you could like rough, rough. and tumble. Yeah. yeah, like a cool kid. Like the only denim joke that I know of that I like is the what kind of overalls does Mario wear one. What kind of overalls does Mario wear? Denim, denim, denim. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's a really stupid joke. I heard that, I heard that from Nicole uh, first, by the way. So. Oh, it's pretty good. Hey, I mean, this is very simple, but it's a great joke. It's a yeah. classic. Anyway. All right. So going back to the actual jeans guy in the, show, in the uh, manga. So... They're discussing, um, you know, the whole situation with Dobby. Hawks brings up like, you know, uh, hearing about your obsession from your younger days, you know, how this all resulted from that. That's, you know, pretty shocking. Endeavor at least has the, you know, sense to look embarrassed, uh, if not outright ashamed. 
But uh, Hawks is like, okay, okay, okay. But this didn't come up when you were talking about him. But hey, Shoto's burn was that you, Endeavor? And I do like that this was brought up because it goes over the whole thing with like, no, no, Ray's like, I, I did that. Uh, and they remind you of like why that happened uh, in this moment. And I think using artwork from the chapter where it was first brought up to, which is why Endeavor looks completely different from any of the flashbacks that we saw before that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Talks kind of looks over at uh, at uh, Todoroki and he's like, you know, I never really got to settle the situation with my parents over the stuff that I went through and I gave up on them and just, you know, got them out of my life. Whereas he has actually confronted them and he is, you know, managed to get this closure and he doesn't say anything to sell He just says to Todoroki, you're a class act. It's like, eh. I, and I do like the, you know, kind of like bring things together with this is Hawk's past. And this is why Endeavor resonated with him. But this is also why this situation resonates with him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like it. So Hawks brings up the reality of the situation of uh, all those people, all those villains have escaped uh, and things are bad. Heroes are quitting like that asshole uh, uh, Musha, who was just like, I'm gone. Bye. Bye. You uh, how cool my powers definitely were. <laughs> I had the best quirk of them all, but I must retire now without ever showing anybody. Bye. <laughs> it's it's a very noble thing that I do. But I'm going to keep all the money. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> I've made my money. Don't touch it. <laughs> it's fine. I'll kill you. You better not fucking raise taxes. I hate you. <laughs> so, um, Hawks is like, a lot of really bad stuff has happened in just the last couple of days. So we've got to do something about this. But it's not all down to you. You know, we're not going to have you guys shoulder the entire burden. Uh, and Endeavor's like, why, wh- why are you lending me your support? But Hawks has got his own reasons because he admires Endeavor so much. And he's like, look, I know that things are different and you're not exactly the person that I, you know, idolized exactly, but I'm going to lend my support to you because you're trying to be better. So but out loud, he just says, I propose that the top three heroes team up and, uh, Anyway, and now that I've said that, you know, we're going to lighten your load. Do you think you can stand up and move forward? And Endeavor has been brought to tears by the support of his family and his uh, co-workers. And he says, yes, with teary eyes. And uh, so Natsu, of course, is the one person who's kind of like, I'm not very happy still with this situation. But he says, look, this is only until we stop Toya. Okay. And Endeavor agrees to that. Uh, Hawks brings up that they need to, you know, provide the public with an explanation of stuff, especially because Dobby's accusation is out there. And Hawks says, you know, I've got kind of a statement sort of prepared, but there is one point that I'm fuzzy on, which is one for all. What is that? And uh, Fuyumi notes that when she and Natsu and Ray were making their way through the crowd outside, that, uh, there, one of the questions being shouted by reporters was, she, Endeavor muttered a mysterious phrase while facing off with Shigaraki. What does one for all mean? 
is it related to the supervillain all for one? And he's like, I mean, I don't fucking know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just this kid, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this is something that very, very few people know about. And Hawks is like, what is that? Well, we have to know what that means. Uh, and Endeavor reflects on what uh, Deku had said during the battle when he mentioned that Shigaraki was possibly going to chase after him specifically. And so he just goes with Deku. <laughs> yeah, I do like, so, uh, like, what is one for all? He's like going through his flashback, Deku? <laughs> and then like, <laughs> hard, like it's a, that's the transition. Let's like cut to something else. <laughs> Akigo was, of course, trying to go and see Deku before. And uh, everyone's managed to finally restrain him. Uh, I do kind of like the way that they're going about it, which is that Suyu has wrapped him up with her tongue. Sato is carrying him. And Mineta is just like wrapped around him because he can't actually help with this situation. So he's just there too. So I always like, I know it's sort of the thing. It just makes me so incredibly nervous that she's using her tongue as a giant rope. Cause I'm just like one, ew, but two, Oh, the moment, like if someone just caught it, I, it like it, it would be like the most horrifying thing in existence. I get very concerned. Uh, also, so, he's, it, it seems like Bakugo's coughing up blood. Like, he's that angry? Well, he's still injured. I, mean, I know. I was just surprised. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. He's in a worse shape than I thought. Why? It's just my lung. <laughs> so he's being carried off because he's still going to, you know, be in bed rest. Um, Ida and, and Uraraka and Inko, uh, Deku's mother, are in the hallway near his room. Uh, and F, so they're kind of watching Bakugo but get carried away. Jiro comes by, and I do like the little, you know, like her head is drawn twice because she's saying one thing, but at the same time, she's like, What the fuck is going on over there? Why, why is Bakugo being, why, what, what, what? Um, but they go over what's going on with uh, with everything. Uh, she mentions that Tokoyami and Kaminari are cleared for release from the hospital. We haven't seen them yet, so nice to know there. Uh, and they establish that Midoriya is okay physically, but he hasn't woken up yet. So... <laughs> Probably my favorite detail from the entire chapter is that at that moment, Hawks and Vestgina show up because, of course, they've just heard from Endeavor that Deku was involved in this whole one for all thing. And as they spot Bakugo being carried down the hallway, Vestgina is like, oh, great explosion, murder god dynamite. You're OK. <laughs> The entire fan base was like, what kind of lame name is that? And Best Genius is like, oh, yes, Great Explosion Murder God Dynamite. <laughs> uh, and so they're here there to talk with Deku. Ida says, yeah, All Might has to be alone with him right now. We cut to inside of the room for the first time in, I don't know, like a month and a half since the last time we saw them. And All Might is at Deku's side with his hands over one of Deku's many, many bandages. And he says, I can feel it. The version of me dwelling inside the boy, inside one for all. Right now, you must be talking with the predecessors. Getting all those other quirks as fast as possible, presumably. 
Somebody's like, you need, uh, we're going to give you four right now. <laughs> like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> one of them uh one of them's gonna make you grow a hundred feet tall so be ready for that as soon as you wake up <laughs> i'm in a hospital can you wait nope here you go <laughs> uh this was uh an interesting first half of the chapter um it felt like there were some teases to stuff like there's yeah, very absolutely. specifically designed silhouettes for the relief heroes from around the world. And I'm wondering if those are characters we're eventually going to meet. Um, so I'll be curious about that. And I do like the little conversation of like, hey, why don't we top three heroes work together? Uh, not also because the the seven below us are either dead, gone, or severely injured. So. Right. Or uh, wash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or wash. And everyone hates them. They're throwing rocks at them now. Yeah. Uh the second half <laughs> That's the tw- that's the twist next chapter you find out that they that the mob killed him. <laughs> <laughs> just covered in rocks. Like it wasn't even like they ganged. They just kept throwing rocks at him and he never stopped it. He was just like, ah. <laughs> Um The second half, like so I'm very intrigued to see like some development happen in the one for all storyline, but like, I don't know. I'm not super crazy about like another chapter of uh, Deku in his avatar state talking to all the past, all the past avatars or whatever. I'm just like, all right. And after that series came out on Netflix, suddenly everyone understands it now. It's like, (laughs) guys, where were you 15 years ago? (laughs) (laughs) When all those hot, Nick had all those hot conversations he wanted to have. Arguing with people that Zutara wasn't going to happen. You never know, Nick. There's um, still time. Yeah, I think it's an all right chapter. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that there have been a billion different fan fiction about, you know, even though in Legend of Korra, they established that Katara and Aang were married for years. It's like, oh, no, but but she and Zuko after he died. I was going to say that I believe they're both still alive. And I don't actually know. I don't actually know 100%. I watched a f- most of the first season of Korra. And I remember very that I remember they did a like a sport a lot. Yes, that's there was it. a lot focused <laughs> on that pointless goddamn sport. <laughs> Listen, there's only so much we can explore this whole plot line we actually thought up, and that's why it just ends very suddenly after the finale. Um, but yeah, uh, I thought this was an okay chapter. Uh, but Jira shows up in it, so ten out of ten. So. There you go. That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's move on then to... I don't know what the chapter order is. Chris, it's help Kai- me. Kaiju number eight, chapter 27. So uh, we see a little bit of the fighting that's happening around the area. Uh, Kafka saves... Um, a person. I don't know who this is. <laughs> I, to my knowledge, I remember two female recruits, and this is not one of the two of them. It's like Shinomiya, and then there's kind of like a slightly taller girl. Right, right. right. I think we maybe have seen her before, but I only like remember seeing shots of like two of them before. So she might be a member of a different squad or something like that. We're still being introduced to the members of the squad, so. Well, she doesn't give a name or anything like that, so she might as well be a mannequin that's has like a voice box attached to it that says, help right. me, help me. 
maybe it would be funny if like her appearance changed in every single panel she's in so you never actually get a clear idea of what she actually looks like it's just like now she's got a ponytail now she's got bangs now well, she's got a bald head now now she's and that's that's the twist she's actually kaiju number six and we just yeah. never realized she changes her her look because we've been neglecting her the whole time nick she's collins that big Ooh. remember in uh the 20th 21st uh, 20th century boys friends oh. like i am collins the one who never got to walk on the moon anyway so <laughs> <laughs> uh kafka partially transforms himself uh in order to get the super speed necessary to get her out of harm's way and she's like, oh, wow, it looks like he can use the suit now. He's like, uh, yeah, that's what I just did. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, however, another kaiju starts to descend on them. Shinomiya shows up and wrecks it with her axe. Ichikawa's on the scene. Uh, they're all doing a good job. Ichikawa briefly gets on the radio and warns Kafka, hey, don't do anything reckless. You're a general officer now. Have faith in your squad. Nice little, little exchange between them. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, Nakanoshima platoon arrives. So, you know, reinforcements that were out on missions and stuff like that are there to help everyone out. And uh, so, you know, the tide is turning. Th- things are things are going well. On top of that, uh, the uh, other squammers are doing well. So Kafka is like, yeah, it's not just Kikoru and, and Ichikawa. You know, everyone's so amazing. So things it looks like are going to turn out well for Kafka and Minase, there's her name, Minase, 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 Minase. Always, uh, oh, good old Minase, yeah. Her and Rebecca, always good to always yeah, good. Yeah, our favorite characters. We come back over to Vice Captain Hoshina, who is gonna get serious, and uh, he's he's like, you guys, yeah, hey, you guys have picked the wrong customers to scrap with. We're winning this fight buddy (laughs) (laughs) the fact that he says buddy (laughs) so this is this like a a taste question i guess is it cool or very lame that wolverine calls people bub bub (laughs) it's cool because it's him okay do do you think hushino could reach that point where he's cool enough that he can call people buddy (laughs) look here's the thing about wolverine there are a lot of aspects about him that are horribly uncool. He's very small. There's the mutton chops. <laughs> the mutton chops. <laughs> There's the wild. He's Canadian. Mutton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you put them all together and give him adamantium claws, suddenly he's the coolest thing in the world. That yellow and blue spandex. Oh, horrible. <laughs> The orange and brown spandex, even worse. But the, I mean, the the eye flap things. What is the purpose of those? But it is all together. It is interesting when you break it down. Wolverine is super lame, but all of it together, supported by that adamantium skeleton, really does hold it together. Played by the guy who sang Oklahoma. <laughs> I, just, I just want Hoshino to be able to get there so like he can have a big moment where he's just like, time for you to die, Kaiju number nine. Or should I say, Frenzo? And then like slice him up or something like that. Like what's the lamest thing he could use is his little uh, his little line. Oh man. 
Um, homie. <laughs> <laughs> You're dying today, buddy o pal. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Hoshina moves, and the kaiju has a cut going across his chest. Uh, and immediately the thing's like, oh, he did it again. With, it's just like the strike that lopped off my arm. He's cutting through the gaps in my shell precisely. But then he starts to open his second mouth and just goes, this guy doesn't impress me. It's just a cheap little trick. If I know what you're after, I can easily deal with it by flinching. He's <laughs> more cuts across his uh, Excuse me. I'm having a cool internal monologue. <laughs> Hoshina has just deployed Hoshina style sword slay technique number two, cross slasher. And as the kaiju realizes, oh, aiming for the gaps in my armor was just a diversion. And as he realizes that, he's getting cut into pieces. <laughs> oh, this oh. isn't looking so hot. Okay, maybe he's not nearly so limb as I thought. Hold on, let me just get those back. Um,. But as this happens, the kaiju is just like, yeah, this is the way a fight should be as as he's regenerating the damage and his like chopped off head is getting immediately regenerated back onto his neck stump. And he's thinking to himself as they're trading blows, me an opponent that rivals myself in power, trading blows with them head on. Rival, 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 rival. Uh and he just keeps on going after Hoshino, who's bouncing around the walls of the of the train compound that they're in, slashing at it over and over. But then the kaiju launches a punch, and his arm just falls apart in little chunks. And Hoshino lands on a post up above and behind him and just says, you know, that core of yours is smaller than I expected. And then as the kaiju is turning over his shoulder to look up at him, Hoshino moves again and slashes through it simultaneously four times converging on one point where presumably the thing's core is using his eightfold slasher and everyone's like all right yeah Hoshina did it he killed that thing but Hoshina immediately realizes no not yet as the kaiju is swelling and bulging all over Similar to how it was regenerating, but it also seems to now be growing. Yes. Uh, so this is a pretty cool chapter, I think, for the most part. I don't know. It. I'll be curious to see exactly what comes of this, because there was like a hot moment where I thought, this kaiju sucks. He's so <laughs> lame. And I was like, all right, he's getting a little bit more interesting. And then it seems like he's dead. So <laughs> I don't... Uh, I don't know if this is him metamorphosizing into a new form or if this is him uh, self-destruct super exploding, basically. So, mm. um, but I think Hoshina got to look cool. I do like that line of like, oh, that core of yours is it's smaller than I thought, which I was like, I mean, I guess you could like do like a penis size emasculation joke at the end, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a it's. It's not as good as some of the chapters we've gotten the, so far, but it is really satisfying to see Hoshina just cut this thing into little bits. It's yeah. There's something about the way that the damage is drawn and how clean the slashes are that's really satisfying. It definitely is. Now, Nick, I feel like it's only appropriate now for us to move from Diet World Trigger to regular World, world Trigger. 
Yeah, so... Uh, World Trigger! World Trigger! <laughs> um, so... We kept on talking. We've been talking about this for months. Whenever it comes, I was like, "Man, Ajar is sure taking his time and doing stuff." I uh, love getting to this. I love the juxtaposition so much more of like Diet World Trigger to World Trigger, and you're like, "Diet World Trigger had something happen this week." Diet World Regular World Trigger, nothing. It's not even like seeing what the teams are going to be. It's basically Ashihara was like, no, no, no. All of your discussion on the fan forums is pointless. I'm putting all the discussion right here. Listen, <laughs> to any of you out there who talk about World Trigger on your podcast, I got you covered this week. Just read this out loud and you don't even have to theorize <laughs> what's going on. It's phenomenal and infuriating. In equal parts. And I, I think I said this before when we did the draft chapter. I was like, this is the most infuriating thing. And I would have it absolutely no other way. Like, I, I almost, I've tried to tell a friend of mine to get into World Trigger for a while now. And I just remember telling him, like, yeah, there's like whole chapters that'll just be like a board meeting. And after this chapter came out, I almost wanted to just send him like a screenshot of all the pages so I could just be like, I want you to understand, no action takes place here. No, characters don't even get up from sitting. They don't even argue with each other. It is no. just a discussion. They're just like whenever someone brings up a point that someone hadn't brought up before, they're just like, "Huh, that's an interesting point." <laughs> Everyone, yeah. There's no person who pushes back on anything. Everyone's just like, "That's fair." Having considered that, <laughs> I think part of it has to do with the fact that there's not a lot of intermixing between the different squads. Like, if there's a full squad. Uh, then they just assign them to one of the rooms. Yeah. Uh, and they just have these much. And it, it, the <laughs> here's the thing. So th what happens in this chapter is after being told last time that the A rank squads are going to be judging phase one of this test. We now pick up where we left off there with the orientation concluding chapter title 206, the away mission test part four. And then everyone's saying, okay, all you who are in provisional squads, don't talk to each other <laughs> between now and the test, uh, which I assume has to do with the fact that they're going to be kept in isolation. So it's yeah. like, we don't want you to like get used to each other before we put you under a stress test. So uh -huh. no cheating in that regard, yeah. basically. Then the A-rank agents get briefed, but before they get briefed, they're split up and they're put into individual conference rooms. And the only purpose I can see to that is so that they can have more manageable conversations than all of them talking at once around well, one table. They are also designed to rank the squads in the order at which they think they're going to succeed at the different exams. Um, and that supposedly is a second layer test that the border executives are doing on the A-rank squads to see they're being judged on how well they judge others. And it's one of those things you're just like, <laughs> it's so much work to put these fucking teenage kids through. Did Ashihara, Sensei, before becoming a mangaka, work in middle management? Like... <laughs> so, I am not... 
going to go through every point that oh. is painstakingly brought up amongst the A rank squads over all the different squads and all the different ways that they analyze how they're going to get along and then how they're going to fight together. I mean, during the course of this, we do kind of get introduced to a few A rankers that we hadn't really gotten to know yes, before. Absolutely. So, for example, we get a fair amount of introduction to Fuyashima's squad's operator, Maki. And, you know, we get a big glimpse of what her personality is like. Uh, we are introduced to this really weird cat girl on Kako squad. Oh, is that what she's supposed to be? I thought she was some kind oh. of frog monster. <laughs> like, I thought she was supposed to be Suyu, but then, like, halfway through, Ashihara was like, oh, shit, I, if I keep drawing her like this, then I, I'm going to have to pay money. I'll just, I'll just make her squat and hideous or something like that. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I don't know if this is a duck facing or if that's just what she naturally looks like. I don't know at this moment. She's drawn with many different expressions, and in every single one, her mouth curves all across her face. So I don't know. She's got, she's almost got like a bulldog mouth, you know, with the winding across. But anyway, um, I was kind of like trying to skip to the point where they talk about Osamu's squad. And really, they just kind of talk about how the different members are at different levels of mobility. I'm like, does no, no one talk about it, how they're going to get along with people? All right, fine. They, they, they do- I was going to say, they do briefly mention, and as a positive, actually, that, like, Sua Squad's in a great position because three of the members of the group are captains, or have been captains, or have captain experience, so they'll understand what it's like to give orders, and it's like, I don't think that's a positive, per se. <laughs> Oop, I think we lost Nick. Yeah, I mean, do you think that that might... Yeah, the things aren't... Yeah. The yeah. connection doesn't seem to be great tonight, guys, sorry. Um, one of the points that I, I actually thought was interesting was Niamh and it's being like, yeah, there's some young people on the squad. I don't think that they're going to think he's very cool. <laughs> Everyone's just like, no one's going to uh, like Boomer Ninamiya. The point of like, well, won't Ozma keep? Oh, did we lose Nick completely? Yeah, this might start. This might be a problem. Uh-oh. But, uh oh. We'll see if this keeps up, I guess. Uh oh. SpaghettiOs. I can hear you now. So right. if this keeps up, we might, I might have to just shove everything in the trash can and restart the computer. But, okay. Um, so they bring that up. Uh, there are a lot of little details in this chapter that if you go over them, there are nice things to enjoy. Like when we get the little doodles that some people make and like Nunia is, is drawn with like a lion body and there's a speech bubble coming out of his head that just says, I'm a dumb lion. It's like, wow, it's really nice to see people, you know, you know, their true feelings about different characters being shown, but again, what it comes down to is this is just a bunch of like cannot canon fan wank over what's going to happen in this test and then once all that's done we get a time skip to the day of the test and it's like all right (laughs) we waited two months for this chapter (laughs) all right (laughs) uh so there's a couple details in it i do really like and wanted to point out i like the discussion 
about how they're like, well, what's going to happen with Yuma on a team? And then somebody just brings up like, Yuma's like a super respectable person. And like when he doesn't know something, he'll ask. So he's actually going to be pretty safe. Husei, on the other hand, is a spoiled brat who, if he screws up, he's just going to sit there and wait for someone to fix it up. And it's just a shot of him at a kitchen with like a microwave on fire and his arms are just crossed. and He's just sitting there like a like a spoiled baby boy, as they call him. So he's just he's just kind of like, well, this is the situation I'm in now. <laughs> he's like, you fix it. <laughs> if you want your microwave back, you have to fix it. And then I'll finish making my popcorn. <laughs> uh, so I like that detail. There's the little moments where they do talk about Osamu a little bit. And they even kind of state like, I think it's you, uh, Uego, who's just like, yeah, he's almost as good as me. And I think it's Zuma who's just like, no, he's way better than you. <laughs> so there's like, there's small little touches there. We do get a little bit of an idea on some of the different teams that are probably going to be significant. Um, I will say this. I initially, when I got about halfway through this chapter, they were still discussing the first stage. And I got really excited because I was like, holy shit, is the chapter going to end and they haven't even started talking about the stage two evaluations yet. I started to like, I was like, oh, please let it happen. It doesn't. They get through all the evaluations in a single chapter, which is very disappointing. (laughs) But man, I was super excited at the idea that they were going to like end on a cliffhanger. Like, but what about the second half of the exams or something like that? Um, It's a silly chapter, but it's also a great chapter. Um, but it's also an awful chapter. I really like, I like there's people in our discord and even in the chat right now who are having this discussion of like, I, I love this chapter. World triggers the best. And some people are like, I fucking hate this. This is the worst thing in the world. And neither one of them are wrong. <laughs> it really like, this is, this is the kind of chapter that exemplifies world trigger. If you like it, you love all these little details. Everything is getting addressed. Everyone's getting a little bit of, of like logic and lore. If you don't, 70 fucking character names were just thrown at you with designs that are not different enough from each other <laughs> like that are very hard to tell apart like three different times i was like i think that's the guy that's on cosmo squad no no that's the guy that's on cosmo squad N- no that must be the guy that's on and then i just gave up i was like he's one of the people he's got to be in there somewhere <laughs> You're just like, why doesn't anyone else like wear helpful baseball caps in this series? <laughs> really, I need that. Everyone needs big dumb headwear. There should be a character with a gigantic sombrero, one with a big fruit hat. Um, I, I just need everything. Nick, Nick just quits reading the series <laughs> at that point. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, 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 things where it's like you kind of go on a roller coaster. I think at a certain point with the way that this whole thing is proceeding, where it's taking so long that you can easily go from, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, you know, we're getting the analysis and, and doing all the homework and stuff ahead of, ahead of all the action. And then you get to the point where it's like, all right, I've had enough of this. Can we get to the action? Oh my God, it's going for so long. Can we get to the action? And then it kind of loops back around. And you're like, yes, keep on putting everything off. Keep going longer. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking edge me sting. Just keep it going. More don't nothing. don't let me come. <laughs> it's uh it's excellent in that way. Um, but again, like if you were somebody who read this chapter, you're just like, thank God, like stuff happens in Kaiju Number Eight. I would not blame <laughs> you, not at all. 
All right, that'll do it, I think, for World Trigger discussion yes. this day. Great, great, great chapter. All right, Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero then. This is chapter one thirty-two, yes. Chrono Witch. Yeah. Um, so we open up the chapter with last time. Uh, Ziggy showed up in the virtual reality thing and everyone's tied up. So what's going to happen? And, uh, you know, immediately Wise just like, uh oh, this is good. Hermit, you need to untie us. But before that can happen, uh, Ziggy waves his hand and stuff happens. And then it's like a my miasma of stuff. It's just Shiki and Ziggy. And Ziggy, Cheeky's like, what happened? Where are all my friends go? Ziggy's like, oh, you want someone to join you? And Rebecca just falls from the sky and immediately starts getting kind of controlled by his gravity. And he says, you don't need to learn anything from Xenolith. I already taught you everything. What do you think will happen if you go beyond that? The path of gravity ultimately leads to absolute nothingness. And Rebecca starts getting crushed by gravity. And he's like, you know, if you what happens to a body when it has gravity applied to it for too long yeah allow me to show you see her her capillaries are collapsing at a tremendous speed and if if this continues her internal organs will be crushed yes you must watch her be crushed to death in front of you for that is the power of gravity and Shiki gets really angry and rips through the ropes and i guess i shouldn't have expected a more interesting solution to like the power like the the weakness they have of like oh no you're bound and now you can't use your ether gear because you can't use your arms you have to find a way around that the answer is just like i don't know my friends are in danger so i feel like that's kind of how it would be solved normally uh he doesn't even like he doesn't even do anything he just breaks the bonds through sheer brute force. Yeah, I was expecting like, oh, maybe you can influence a small bit of it almost through your fingers and then you you parlay that into freeing your whole... But no, he's just like fucking hulks out. So, you know. Do you remember what happens in chapter one of Bleach, Chris? Mm-hmm. Rukia There's no... Casts, ch- okay. Rukia casts a low-level binding spell on Ichigo. And when his family is in danger... He just goes and breaks out of it. And that's, you know, a sign that he's always had, you know, the you know potential to be a soul reaper kind of thing. Uh, that's in chapter one of Bleach, where she marvels at him using brute force to break out of a binding spell. This is chapter 132 and just going and breaking out of bindings is a big power up. Apparently. Well, it's uh it turns out this was all a ruse. That's not Ziggy, that's Xenolith. And he basically is like, Yep, I it altered the fucking program. That's what I did. So and like I guess I didn't even tell Hermit, because Hermit's like, I'm glad I figured it out in time, because you really scared me for a moment. Uh there's a couple jokes, but essentially it just kinda ends with Xenolith being like, Ah, yes, he's He's very powerful. Perhaps this is the one person I could teach the black sky technique to. Um, and then training ends. Uh, there's a small little moment where Laguna shows up afterwards to be like, nice work, everybody. Clean's like, you should have joined us. Yeah. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'll think about it. And hey, you know, you're cute when you smile. And of course, Chris would be like, get away from my sister. Fucking kill you. It's one of the most natural conversations I think has ever actually happened in Eden Zero. Just like, 
Queen's a little different. So Laguna's like, oh, you're you're cute when you smile. It's like, oh my god, he flirted like a human being does. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's weird because I didn't even read it necessarily as flirting, just because like Laguna seems to express like it just seemed like such a very casual thing to be like, yeah. hey, you know, you were a member of the Elemental Four, and I always saw you as this emotionless robot. And you actually look pretty nice when you smile. Like it just yeah. almost seemed like a like a like just a friendly little thing. Um, but anyway, uh, Xenolith's like tomorrow your real training will begin. Uh, and then it's just like abruptly, sisters like, hey, we have to find the the relics. That's why we went to Forsta in the very beginning. And they're like, the relic? You mean this bottle cap? <laughs> I can give you a whole bunch of these. <laughs> Listen, Hero's been playing Fallout a lot recently, <laughs> and uh... I actually have a friend who has a jar of bottle caps in his place. He's like, "Look, if the, fall- if the nuclear war ever happens, I'm gonna be rich right off the bat." Um, yeah, they're like, "What the bottle cap?" He's like, "Yes, it's a relic," and they're like, "Yep, it has mother ether." Like, wow, that's crazy. So, like. They're just items that were on Mother, you know, a candelabra and a bottle cap, and they're both the size of humans. Does that mean people lived on Mother, or maybe they used to? Chiggy's just like, who gives a fuck? Now we're one step closer to finding her. And everyone's like, yeah, if we figure out the connection here. <laughs> like, no, we, we're closer to finding her because we found I, these things. We don't understand these things, but we found these things. Isn't it supposed to be if they find enough of them, it like gives them a signature that lets them travel to mother? I, I don't know. It, it feels like that's maybe a, a mechanic or something. Chris, I don't know. let's just get to Rebecca's boobs. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we don't have to wait too long because Rebecca's like, I'm going to go take a bath. And immediately, Xenolith's like, hey, you, the girl captivated by gravity, your powers are weak. <laughs> You were going to require more training. She's like, fuck you. I know. I just learned it like the other day. All right, dickhead. He insults uh, her like twice in one sentence by doing that, too. Yeah. So she goes to the bath in that like the bath area that has like the, the dome that lets us see into space. And she just kind of starts talking to herself being like, look, I know I'm weak. But still, I have to go on adventures if I want to get good videos. And if I want to go on adventures, I need powers. So she, like, steals herself up. She's like, all right, I'm going to do this. And she just starts kicking it around. And uh, her kick is caught by a witch who's there. And she's like, that's the spirit, Lady Rebecca. Remember, this bath has ether-activating properties. Soaking it every day will increase the powers of your own accord. But training here will amplify the effect. So that's right. We're going to train here in the bath every day. And with my help, you will be a Crodo witch. And that's kind of how the chapter ends. It ends technically in a joke of Rebecca being like, you could take your mask off in the bath. And she's like, oh, my, I'm so silly. Um, that's chapter. It's um, so a couple of things. One, <laughs> training in a bath is not a good idea because you can easily slip and hurt yourself. Don't do that. Secondly, uh, I like how we managed to directly evade the idea of, oh, we're going to do sexy bondage training last chapter and then this one. But the girls will be training while bathing and naked. Like, it's just immediately. So, of course, we're going to do this fetish. I am genuinely curious, honestly, if if you go across all of Hero's works, if there have been more instances of girls being tied up or being in the bath. 
Like, because he's done a lot of both. <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. I feel like there's a bath scene once per arc, but I also think there, if you like, you boil it down, I feel like there's a bondage thing once per arc as well. So I don't know. So, so he does a lot of both, of both. but yeah, um, I don't even feel good about, you know, calling last week, like, or maybe it's just Xenolith in disguise and he's a VR program because it seemed like a very obvious, you know, twist there. Um, and uh, a lot of the beginning opening of the chapter, honestly, is just kind of just like, all right, fine. It's it's incredibly standard stuff like maybe he is the one and I just need to threaten your friends in order for you to actually get serious about the training and blah, 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 blah. Uh, almost always Stephanie and Zero gets more interesting when Rebecca is actually getting character development. And so this stuff, even though it was very much through the realm of, look, they're naked, uh, yeah, more interested in that than than Shiki getting stronger because of the power of friendship. <sighs> you know, and uh, there are little bits here and there with uh, the you know side characters getting little bits of something. I did legit. I you brought the exchange between uh, Laguna and Queen, and that is honestly probably my favorite little detail in the chapter. It's just the two panels where they're talking to each other. Yeah. Um. I think this could have been a sweeter chapter honestly if it just had been framed differently because you know i do get the idea rebecca did just get her powers so it's not unthinkable that the kind of shitty master person would be like hey you're the weakest one here like not for nothing but like you're you're gonna be the one who's gonna require more training than everybody else and her just being like look everyone else has had their power for years i just got mine and having this moment of like contemplation, especially as she stares into space where she thinks, look, I want to go on adventures to get good videos. And to do that, I need to not be a liability. Like it could have been a very beautiful scene scene or stare out into space for all the, you know, seemingly infinite adventures she could miss out on if she feels she's a liability to the crew. Uh, instead, it's done from a below angle shot where you can see her butt pressing against, I don't know, something, I guess the bottom of the see-through tub we're, we're viewing this shot from under. And then it's immediately followed up by her doing like naked swim kicks. And you're just like, I don't even understand what this is meant to accomplish. Like, you're not even like form training or anything. Like, there's nothing like you're not kickboxing or any like you're just kicking into the sky as you said in a slippery bathtub like there's no way this would it's just one of those things it's like if you had framed this just slightly differently it could have actually been kind of exciting but because you didn't it's just very frustrating yeah um but i guess it makes sense for rebecca to train her ether gear considering that it first awakened in the bath and then she first time jumped when she was showering. So <laughs> it's always going to be bathing themed adventures and hijinks for Look, it's to the point where it's like girl should never wear more than a towel if she wants to be strong enough. To <laughs> it's to the point where you're like, why doesn't she just spend all of her time in the tub? Why doesn't everyone spend all of their time in the bathtub? Like if it's, well, in they're not hot. Chris. Yeah. So. <laughs> Silly me asking these dumb questions with their magic bathtub. Why don't you draw a scene where Rebecca is like very serious? Like, but I don't want to draw a scene where Rebecca's serious. I want to draw her boobs. <laughs> All right, here. Let's let's move on. 
to the Elusive Samurai Chapter 6 Retainers 1333. The wild boar thing was attacking Tokiyuki and his attendants uh, last chapter while they were out hunting. Uh, we see immediately that their weapons are completely useless against the thing. It is too large. This thing is ridiculously large. It's its head alone is bigger than any of the kids. And so they can't get to any of its vital organs because because its hide is so thick. Um, as they're running around, uh, Koshiro says, uh, well, Ayako and I can't take it down. So Tokiyuki will help you get away from this thing. But Shizugu from a safe position up on a tree branch says, no. We can defeat it. And she says, remember, Kojiro, you and I are not alone. Tokyuki-sama is also here. Uh, and she says, if you keep evading the beast, Tokyuki-sama, lead it to the top of that hill. The one with the lone larch tree on top. And you two will swing around ahead of him. You both know what's underneath that tree. So Kojiro and Ayako exchange a look and they're like ah i get it so they break off from tokiyuki leaving him to the boar and tokiyuki's like why are you leaving me with this thing and i love the panel where he's complaining about this because he's leaping to evade it and his body is strung out in this very dynamic way that i rarely see in manga he's his limbs are all in different angles and positions it's it's Really, really eye-catching to look at. Uh, and he's protesting and stuff like that. And he's like, "What? Who kind? Who leaves their lord to do a thing like this?" And they're like, "Yeah." He says that. Well, he's very easily dodging around the thing and looking like he's having at the time of his life. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wee. Uh, they make their way over to the tree. Ayako gets a big old boulder and she's like, "All right, that one's a good shape, but I can improve it." And she throws a big boulder at some other rock and breaks off a chunk of it. And she says to Kodro that everything under the tree is ready. Tokiyuki at that moment is leading the boar over to them. And he's like, what now? What do I do? Uh, Kodro draws an arrow from his quiver and says, all right, well, I already pruned the foliage for better visibility. Now I just need to adjust my aim. And he lodges an arrow in the thing's cheek, grabbing the boar's attention. And, uh, you know, be taunts it to come over towards him while standing directly in front of the tree and then at the last minute dodges out of the way the boar hits the tree and then goes careening off the hill and shizuku says as it falls whether by bow or blade or a long fall you will not die but sorry that is a god's blade and we see that the rock that ayako had shaped earlier is a huge stalagmite of obsidian which the boar falls on, impaling it and killing it. And we get a narration explaining that this region, Sua, is known for being rich in obsidian rock, which can be easily broken into jagged pieces and used to make hunting tools. And it's incredibly sharp, so sharp that it has been used for surgical blades. So, uh, yeah, that boar dead. Yeah, so. it's fucked up. So, uh, the attendants all celebrate together and Tokiyuki's like, oh, wow, they're actually really impressive and after seeing that their weapons wouldn't work, they use their wits together to defeat an unknown opponent. So, uh, the, this chapter is kind of broken off into two parts. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this, and there's basically the aftermath and set up for the next chapter. So, to talk about this a little bit, thought this was really cool. Yeah. Um, 
seeing what these three can do together in a very brief uh, thing that kind of uh, drives home the stuff established in the last chapter. So, yeah, I, I like that. It felt like all three of them kind of had their own use in all of this um, alongside the prince. And it, it just felt like we're getting more and more of an idea of like how the supporting cast work together. Mm. Uh, Shizuku. Uh, when they're looking at this monstrous beast and wondering what the hell it is, she says that it is a survivor of beasts long past with no others of its kind for producing offspring. If it hadn't been alone, it would not have fallen to evil ways. And Tokiyuki feels kind of bad that they just had to kill this thing that, you know, it was trying to kill them, but it was, you know, a wild animal. It was just doing what wild animals do, basically. Uh... Kojiro says, eh, I'd like to carve that thing up so we can eat it, but uh, I'm kind of exhausted. So uh, Ayaka proposes that they take a bath. Uh, and Okiki's like, what, you mean back at the shrine? No, 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 right here. Yeah, this offspring, because it's you know another thing that's the region's famous for. And to this series credit, none of these kids are naked. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which just doesn't feel like that's a high bar to cross, but literally in this past week uh, in Shark and Dolphin, the little two-year-old girl was taken over by a god and it aged her up into a ten-year-old, but her clothes oh didn't get god. but her clothes didn't get any bigger. So she's like, a, uh, it's super uncomfortable. It's super super uncomfortable. So yeah, all the kids are yeah they're taking a bath together, but for decency's sake, they're all just like wearing their underrobes and stuff. So it's like oh, the way that like little kids would like actually bathe together, at least in modern times. But yeah, uh, and they're just like being little kids for a little bit because they're like oh yeah, you know we we should like always do strategy sessions in hot spring, and they're like yeah that's cool, and we could bring ice and juice, but we need a name, we need a name to call ourselves. <laughs> just. They're little dorks who... They're nerds, yeah. Name. Yeah. Uh, and so they're coming up with various things, and Kojiro's like, well, Lord Tokiyuki runs around a lot. We could call ourselves the Turntail and Run Party. And Tokiyuki's like, no, that's lame. The Sweet Toothers, no. The Permanent Opposition. And I was like, that doesn't seem like a, such a bad title. That's not awful. Like, no! <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that's better than the Sweet Toothers or the Turd Tail and Run. I still wouldn't say it's perfect, but like, uh. I don't think it's the worst of the bunch. But Tokyuki, while this is all going on, thinks to himself, you know, I've lost everything and they tried to cheer me up. They treated me like a friend while still serving me as their lord. I've got some great retainers and together we will grow strong. And they decide to settle on the name The Elusive Warriors, which that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so after they finish bathing, they get out and they're like, all right, uh, we should eat some of that beast ourselves before we tell Yorishige about it. And the Yorishige is over on the hill. And he's like, yes, I already know about it. It was indeed delicious prey. He's eaten the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was so big. Now, to be fair, it does look like there's a couple skewers and a little bit of stew left, but he did eat a lot of it. And those also, those could just be like the bad cuts of meat. Entirely possible. So Kojiro is really pissed off at him over that. And Yorishige is like, the poor creature had fallen into evil ways, but I can purify its spirit in my holy innards. <laughs> and then they start punching him in the stomach to make him yeah. spit it out. <laughs> 
think I expected this series to be as funny as it was. <laughs> just the idea that they just start punching their god in the stomach. Like, give us our poor back. You <laughs> get food. <laughs> but they're not the only ones who have killed a boar recently. At that moment, we cut over to Takauji. And uh, he has apparently just been out hunting. Uh, killed a boar. And uh, he is being met by a Shugo of Shinano, who is thanking him for giving him the position of governing Shinano. And, uh, you know, Takaji just says, like, well, you know, you you were the first to abandon the Hojo and fight alongside me, so your reward is well-deserved. But Sua remains alive and leads the Hojo party in Shinano. The Hojo survivors will run and hide, but I know you can find them. And uh, as he's saying this, he's been plucking ticks off the boar that he's killed because, you know, you don't want to fucking eat those things. Uh, and the the Shugo says, while looking at Takauji's hand, the ticks you removed from that boar, there are four males and one female. And Takauji is surprised that he's able to, you know, freaking tell that from 20 feet away. But he says, you may rely on me. My bow and my eyes are the best in the land. I can spot any tiny insect and kill it with my arrows. And uh, he got big eyes. And uh, he doesn't seem to have any problems with putting an arrowhead near them. Don't do that. No. That, 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 that makes me think you're going to stab yourself. Don't do that. His name is Ogasawara Sadamune. So. Seems like a, a real cool bean. So I guess this is our next kind of uh, small antagonist character. And it's a cool introduction to have him be like, I, I can tell the, the 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 sex of the the ticks you remove from that boar all the way from over here. I'm a super great sharpshooter and things like that. Um, I think for the most part, though. So Elusive Samurai is an interesting series to me because when I read the chapter, it seems like I always come away like it's OK. And I think about it more. and It just always gets better. And then usually the recap makes me like it better even more. So, like, it's one of those ones I'm, I'm starting to get more and more excited to read it now each week. Because I'm just like, I'm probably not going to like it in the moment. But on the drive home from work or whatever, I'm going to be thinking about it and be like, that was a really cool chapter. Yeah. For me, this chapter I thought really hit home the moment that I read it. Mm. Uh, I thought that the way of dealing with the boar and showcasing everyone's abilities and stuff like that was really cool. I love seeing their team bonding and growing closer together and doing it in a way that feels appropriate for a very specifically group of young kids. Cause I think like, I think that like the oldest among them is like 12 or something like that. They are very young. And then there's the stuff with, with Yoroshige. That's, that's funny. And I love the line that he has about like, I'm purifying the beast inside my holy innards. It's like, it's such a weird thing to say uh so it's all good stuff yeah i think it was it was very fun and uh greatly enjoyed now if we got to talk about a series that was not greatly enjoyed this week nick <laughs> i tell c chapter five so we are introduced kind of to the tokyo metro police first criminal investigation division's chief division chief uh we don't know their name we don't get a good look at their face. They seem to be kind of androgynous, although they have long hair. And I swear, this is like a Yu-Gi-Oh! Antagonist. I was going to say this looks like a Yu-Gi-Oh! villain, right? Like a regular, like a newer Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, with the weird spikes that in ways that don't make sense. 
because there's long hair going down their head, but then there's spikes coming up off the long hair. <laughs> How? <laughs> a lot of hair gel. A lot of hair gel. There's actually, it's like a, it's like one of those cakes that you see every so often where they have to like put like spikes and stuff into it to like lift it up or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. where they have to like hold it up and hide it underneath the cake and everything. People in the chat are pointing out that there were no bears in this chapter. And it's like, yeah, it's a yeah. shame. It was a little disappointing. What are you going to do? What if the police chief were a bear? <laughs> <laughs> but with the same hair. <laughs> oh, get me. <laughs> Sorry, what would a bear want? Because I'm like a picnic basket. I'm like, that's one specific bear. <laughs> that's that's one specific bear who wants that. Everyone else is just going to be like, it's just got a big stupid haircut. <laughs> oh man! But also saying all this very imposing stuff, but just not being able to speak any language, just going and communicating meaning that way. <laughs> so, um, they are briefing Miss Ayaoi and uh, saying, like, you know, upholding justice means some people are beyond saving. And seeing as how your fellow officers have abandoned you, you serve as a good example of that. In the last case, you were lucky that Sakon saved you from such dire straits, and had you not been there, you would have died. Remember, you'll never get to him if you let your emotions dictate your actions. What you need right now is a broad-minded squad willing to offer you a helping hand. That's right. It's time to finally showcase the other characters in this series and the way they're going to work together. And it's kind of weird because this is also the same chapter that Lusa Samurai did this, but like it it actually like began the little story by saying that. And this one is like in the middle of another one. So it's like, where did this come from? <laughs> that this was the point of this story. <laughs> it's it's also not a very good example of it either, because like we already know Seikon will come to her aid. And then the other guy was just like, God, I kind of wish she would die every single day or something. Like, the other guy just kind of openly admits, like, eh, I could give less of a fuck about her. Am I a bad person? Anyway, lollipop die. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to the things that were happening in the last chapter where a bizarre looking bald man with a hacksaw was going to attack them. Uh, Sakan leaps into action as Mizaoi is like turning around to look at him and he does the smartest thing in the world he could possibly do which is he kicks the saw on its blade head on in order to kick it out of the guy's hand I know it's a hacksaw it's not the sharpest thing in the world but that seems like a bad <laughs> thing to do couldn't you have done anything else in order to deflect that at least he's wearing a shoe yeah, maybe he has like steel soled shoes. I mean, that, those sound incredibly painful to wear, but you know, going around all day. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> then he's attacked and he's like, finally! <laughs> he's like, oh, I forgot them at home. Oh, <laughs> the one moment I needed them. <laughs> so. Sakan wonders if this could possibly be the same killer from the case that they were just talking about. Um, meanwhile, uh, so the, the group gets split up kind of immediately. Sakan and Mizawa going uh, like are a little bit behind um, Ukon and uh, Author Guy. And Author Guy is like has a weird reaction to this because first of all, he's like, oh, my God, the owner's dead. But then he's 
like turns into a cartoon character. He becomes like, like a. Do I have anything in here? I can find the guy. I'm prisoner. prisoner. <laughs> he becomes like a fucking Sunday strip comic character out of nowhere. You're just like. <laughs> I don't even think this is a joke. I don't know what happened here. It's like it's like he forgot to draw him in that panel, and they were like, "Shit, we need to do it." And the dude at jump was like, "I'll just draw it and pretend it's a joke." What a weird moment to have like levity. Oh, somebody's saying it's a Doraemon reference. I don't know. Sure, I guess. It's a weird moment to have it because he's he's going like, I need something to fight this murder off with. Oh, that's wacky. <laughs> and of course, Mizaoi in that moment is just like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, you're going to die. He's going to kill you. And Mizaoi says, no, don't be silly. I know. And she drops a smoke grenade. <laughs> That was the coolest part of the chapter. That was the moment I was like, all right, this might, this might be able to turn itself around. Where she's like, they're like, oh, what are you doing? If you do that, he's going to kill you. She's like, oh, I know. It just drops a grenade. <laughs> um, and Ukon establishes that, like, yeah, at some point a while back, she was in love with a self-proclaimed ninja assassin and learned some ninja techniques. And the author's like, ah, so she matches her boyfriend's interests. Wait, ninja exists? Kind of. Yeah. Um, their assassins exist. It's more of the thing. But anyway, so. Um, Sakon, of course, is concerned about Ms. Aoi. Uh, Kagami is like, what do we do? And Ukai is just like, I don't fucking care about her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do whatever the and fuck you want. If we get involved with her, then we're just going to get get hurt. So we should prioritize getting out of here. Are you guys cops? <laughs> whatever so they're like yes we are very interested in protecting property so well, goodbye like oh you're not here for the people nope i don't pay me <laughs> there's a dumpster of food that's being thrown out somewhere that we have to go protect <laughs> like okay he's like he's like look the owner of this establishment's already dead so he's not gonna pay me to protect him <laughs> it's really i like it's a very unique bait and switch because I thought after the first chapter that Ukon was supposed to be like the wise one. And this chapter shows he's really just a fucking dickhead. Like he's just a worthless piece of shit. And he kind of just like reestablished like, yeah, Ms. Iowa is a tool for the police. We're just using her. I'm not going to, you know, die. I'm not going to you know risk our life, our lives for her. I don't want you dying the same way dad did. And idiot and ukon headbutts him and is like you're the idiot dad was our hero he defended what he sought to protect to the bitter end and both of us looked up to his example no matter what you say i'm gonna protect her and he runs off on his own sakan flashes back and he's like that's not it uh and he flashes back to when they were kids and their father died we get confirmation that he did die trying to comfort someone who was holding a knife and someone's like, I can't believe he went in unharmed. You can't trust a criminal. You'll just get yourself killed. So this is these are the two different lessons that the two brothers took from this. Sakon, that it's important to believe in people's humanity, even when they have done horrible things. Ukon, that you can't trust criminals. And so, you know, you should just try and protect people from them. They're always a danger to everyone else. Uh, but now he says to himself, am I not cut out to be a hero? And... <laughs> 
How he goes, please tell me your story so that I can monetize your tragedy for months. I, I hope his story is fucking blood written on the walls when they come back to this guy and Ukon got fucking gutted for hanging out alone with this dude. It's, I love, and also, what a shitty fucking thing. He's like, Oh man, let her die. Who cares? She's a tool for the police. Doesn't even matter. Also, I don't. I guess we should probably stop the dude to begin with. But I don't know. We'll get backup or something. Anyways, fuck her. Let her die. And he sits down. He's like, "Am I the bad guy?" Like, yes. I know. <laughs> I know you're the one trying to be introspective, but <laughs> so covered to Ms. Ioe at that moment. She's getting herself all pretty fied. Uh, for her new date mm-hmm. uh, and then she you know starts snooping around the place and she comes to a locked door and we get a very weird little bit where it censors her picking the lock and it's like I'm pretty sure I've seen people pick locks in in jump before I feel like that's a thing that I've seen so I don't know why you're concerned about teaching kids how to pick locks anyway it's too cartoony in order to actually see it anyhow but all right she picks maybe the that's lock and maybe that's also room. a Doraemon reference. Maybe there's like fifty Doraemon references in this. Anytime we don't understand something specifically in ITLC, it's a Doraemon reference. So she sees a room that's like has been there's rust everywhere. There's like blood stains everywhere, and skeletal hands uh, next to manacles that are wrapped around posts and stuff like that. Basically, it's the room from Saw except hands instead of feet. And so, she, and she also spots a portrait of the what looks like the current criminal uh, as a kid posing with a woman, and it's apparently his mother because there's a note about my son Nobuto has an extremely unsomething. something uh, He has an abnormal fixation on hands. This is a note from April 5th, 2011, by the way. So 10 years before. I think that matches up with the things that happened as a staff in the last chapter, but I never bothered to check when the crimes were actually perpetrated. So anyway, Ms. I always sees this and she just goes, I wonder would my hand satisfy him? Uh, we cut back over to Sakon, and he's he's like, okay, where is Mizawi? I don't think that this guy can be reasoned with. I have to get her out of his arm's way. Even if she tries to hurt me, I will bring her back by force if necessary. Uh, someone grabs him from behind, uh, and it's the guy. But Mizawi has appeared behind him, and she's like, I'm here behind you. Let's start our amorous adventure. Uh, and the guy is like, clearly like. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's like, oh, no, I'm going to cut off this guy's hand and kill him. Wait, wh- what? Uh, Sakan warns Mizawa to run away. The guy backhands him across the chin, which knocks him to the ground. And he's like, oh, no, Mizawa, you can't handle this situation with. But Mizawa just just like stays between the two of them and says, come on, Mr. Sakan. Love is about giving and receiving. And it doesn't happen overnight. Are you ready to receive my love, my blight in shining armor? All right. So, yeah, okay. Like, I think she's about to give him head. <laughs> oh, a hand job. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> this is such a weird chapter. Um, 
place, isn't it? Yeah, it starts off on a really bad note, though. I really didn't like the new uh, police chief because the insinuation is like, oh, if Saikon hadn't shown up, then you would have definitely been killed by that random dude with, I think he just had like, I don't even know if he had a knife. He might have just had like a hammer or something like that. And I was like, I don't know. She can learn ninja skills she from these people from her bonds. Like she could have gotten out of the situation anytime she wanted, basically. Yeah. I was like, I'm really trying to not assume that the series is trying to make Owie look worse. Cause it could also be that he's just an idiot because maybe she's going to hold up her end of things here at the very end. But like, I don't know. It's one of those troubling things that makes me think that, you know, one of the few series of jump that we have right now with like sort of a, a female protagonist is still going to be one where she's like, but I hope my 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 boyfriend cop is here to save me or whatever. Um, she's constantly going on about blights and shining armor, too. So it's uh, well, it's, it's one of those things of like, I don't know if that dude was taking care of you. You like in that entire wall of fucking people you've loved. You've never had one person be slightly aggressive towards you before when you're stalking them and arresting them like. It just seems a little weird. As for the actual like mystery itself, I, I am very tickled at the idea because I feel like what she's going to do is reveal something from the little journal she read and like that's the way to like connect to this guy or whatever. And I hope that's the way they solve every fucking crime. I hope every crime is she finds the journal <laughs> with all of the characters' backstory in it and she just reads it and she's just with like... With my mystery-solving <laughs> ability to read things... <laughs> to find my journal... <laughs> <laughs> to find my book of trauma with my parents or whatever and read that. Yeah. Uh, I think that this would have just been a kind of whatever forgettable chapter, if not for the whole thing about Ukon that's just like determined to make you think like, yeah, this guy's just kind of an asshole. Like he's, no. just, he's a bad cop. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, let's move on to Magu-chan. Got a destruction. Chapter 33 encounter in a winter wonderland they want a trip to a ski resort <laughs> that's, that's all you need to know that's uh, that's why they're going skiing is because they want it in, in, a, in a raffle i love how it's handled in a single page there is no time half like nope. a, a third of the space the page is also a foreshadow so it's basically two-thirds of a page like contest contest you win a ski trip next page at the ski trip it's great no wasting time. Good for you. Uh, so Riru has gone with with Magu, with Ren, and with Naputaku. They are going along with uh, Ren's mother, Ron, who uh, is, uh, yeah, this is the first time I think we've actually been introduced to her. Uh, apparently, Rin uh, didn't want to go. They uh, just wanted to stay at the restaurant. And uh, Rin was like, can I take my drugs? And, they, and she was told no, so... I do like how immediately Naputuku and Magu are, are, are throwing snowballs at each other. Like they're they immediately have a weapon and they're just like, ah! and that's it. So Ren really wants to look cool snowboarding in front of Ruru, and it's like, oh boy, you know this is not going to go well. Don't do this. Stop trying to look cool in front of her. That's not going to work because you're. 13 and you're not cool like <laughs> it's okay no one's cool when they're 13 even the people you thought were cool when you were 13 weren't actually cool it's all right oh well 
They go up a ski. I want they you to be a, 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 like a school, like a public school teacher or speaker, where you just go up and be like, listen, listen, none of you are cool. All of you are nerds. The ones of you who think you're cool, you're not. You're lame. You suck. You're going to look at pictures of yourself 10 years from now and be like, why did I think that hair and those clothes were cool? <laughs> <laughs> why did anyone like me? <laughs> So, uh, Ren tries to show off on a snowboard, immediately loses control. One of his, the, his foot class breaks. And so he can't use the snowboard because it's broken. He stumbles into Ruru who has Magu riding around on her head, which is a very adorable look. Magu flies off of her head, hits the ground. And since he is very ball shaped, he goes rolling down the hill. But Magu is not concerned with this at all because he knows that there's curry at the bottom of the at halfway down the slope. So he's like, I shall lead the way to devouring the offering of curry. And he rolls down the hill and gradually turns into a giant snowball because yes. I, I, I like he's excited to go down. He's like, yes, yes, I shall make it to the curry first. Yep. But he gets to the, the uh, Ruru gets to the mid slope dining hall by herself because uh, she went ahead of uh, Ren and Ron and uh, she's like, oh, Magu's not here. I, I thought he'd be here having cu- curry. Huh. And uh, then she's she's like, oh, there's there's super warm curry. And I bet Naputa-kun would be happy if I got some. We cut over to Naputa-kun, who is making a snowman of himself. <laughs> and there are kids like, what is that thing? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I guess the more places they go, the more people are going to eventually be weirded out by the weird... <laughs> Cthulhu creatures that are just wandering around wearing s- sweaters and scarves. So, <laughs> uh, Ruru uh, approaches a random small child. <laughs> I don't know. And she's like, Have you seen a weird pink octopus named Magu-chan? Uh, and and, the, and the, the child's like, I haven't seen any creature like that, but I did see a giant one eyed snowball rolling this way. So, uh, Rue tries to make her way off, away from the kid, but the kid stops her and says, well, the, me- the weather on this mountain can change suddenly, so you-, you should be careful. It's best to get down the mountain soon. Rue keeps on skiing down the mountain. We, uh, catch up with Magu, who is, yes, a, a giant snowball with an eye now. And he's like, I have reached the final destination. Uh, but as he gets himself out of the snowball, he says, there is no further need to keep following me. And Izuma and Uneris are okay. They're there. They're there too. But Uneris says it was no accident that you won the first prize in the lottery, nor that you rolled here. That child is near. Ren and Ron get to the Midway Lodge as well, uh, but Ruru, of course, is left because she's looking for Magu. And Naputakun has has managed to get the kids to make a much better snow snowman of himself, and he's like, "Behold, a statue!" <laughs> he's so excited. I love him. If you give him any moldable object, he will make himself, won't he? So, um, so uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I do like that. Naputaku is like, "Well, if she goes by. This statue will be sure to catch her." T- <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> He's like, tell her to come this way. This is the landmark. Meet at Snow Naputaku. 
Snowpootaku. Be here forever. <laughs> Spring. Where did it go? <laughs> Snowpootaku. <laughs> he doesn't know how it works. Aw. He also built little tiny snow hermit crabs as well. Yeah, it's very cute. Uh. Rug follows the trail and eventually sees that, you know, Magu had gone off the path. And he's like, oh, no, what will Magu do if he gets lost? But at that moment, she spots the kid who had given her directions before, uh, who somehow wound up ahead of her. And she says, you were higher up. How did you? How did you? And the kid says, I warned you, didn't I? And uh, she's, you know, trying to be a concerned older kid and be like, hey, you know, you should, you know, it's dangerous out here. Why are you lost? And the child says, you're right. It is dangerous here. And they raise their hood and say, you should have gotten off the slopes when you could. You really are a foolish, lowly human. And oh no, their cloak is all, um, culty looking, basically. <laughs> uh, and like dark energy uh, appears from the child's hand, uh, just as Mago Nuneris and Izuma arrive. And the child declares adjustment of fate and sends the the dark energy swirling out from around them. Oneris goes flying away. Good. Uh, Magu <laughs> Look, she didn't, I'm not saying so that she got hurt. She's just not there for right now. <laughs> Reminds me. Did you ever watch Angry Beavers at all when you were a kid? Oh, it's a lost reference on you. Then there, there was just a moment that was very similar to that. I didn't think I'd have to explain it though, because I felt like you wouldn't get the reference. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to drag the show down by explaining who Trucky was. <laughs> I think I think you might have referenced Trucky before, but whatever. So the child is introduced as the third pillar. Muscar of fate. Uh, and Muscar declares that Uneris should stay out of this. I will not be sealed again. Maga demands to know what Muscar wants from them. Why all the sneaking around as well. And Muscar says, don't glare at me so, Maga Manuoku. I simply want to become your friend. And that's where we end the chapter. It's definitely probably the most ominous note we've had uh, from Maga-chan. I think Ever, probably. There was, of course, the whole, like, why did, oh no, is, is Ruru's mom going to make it for Christmas? But this is like, oh, well, there's this weird, dark child thing. Where are they up to now? Yeah, we're, we're introduced to a dark god who seems to be, um, I don't know if malicious is the right word, but definitely foreboding is the word I guess we could use. Um, there is definitely some unnerving tension going on there it's curious we don't really know like this is the first time we've just seen like a chaos god show up not kind of attached to anybody i know technically the putaku showed up solo but then eventually kind of got attached to ren um uh so there there is something there but it's just a very it's like it was kind of cool to see a chapter of magu chan kind of just end in a dramatic way you know there's no gag there's no joke or anything like that there's a couple jokes at the start of the chapter but like even the jokes are kind of saddled with it like you know when ren tries to skate by and look cool we can see like the dark energy snaps the mm -hmm. the, the, the the uh fastens on his, his board so it's just a very unnerving little chapter it's it's pretty cool 
Yeah, and it seems as though, I mean, Muscar has definitely, like, demonstrated a bunch of different things, and this adjustment of fate makes it seem as though there are a bunch of things that, I guess, have the context of as it, it's as if you know bad luck has struck in some way mm-hmm. which can also be you know contextualized of like oh you know what horrible luck that you know that snowstorm appeared but then when he reveals himself he just straight up starts manipulating the weather like so <laughs> i do wonder exactly what the the flavor of his uh, ability actually is well it is very unfortunate that a snowstorm would kick up and send daenerys away and trap all these these human characters in a blizzard I mean, you're right about half of that, yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> nine so ball we'll... dragon parade. Nine dragon nine, ball parade. Nine dragons ball parade. Chapter three. A new dream. Last time, uh, our heroes were approached by a bizarre girl who <laughs> you seem to offer them on a platter the answer to all their problems. Uh, full scholarships to Kokoriyus on high, where they would be allowed to just design their own uh, specialized baseball team. So Azu sa- uh, says, because, you know, Rio is like, oh, I, I don't really know what that what that is. And Azu's like, oh, they're, they're legendary. 30 years ago, they defeated Hakuo three straight years. They're legendary. From 1979 through 81, the tournament came down to Hakuo and Kokoriyus on, and they battled as if their lives depended on it. And high school fans have never stopped talking about it. The nine players who emerged victorious for three years were dubbed the Nine Dragons, a.k.a. the Kowloons, were feared near and far. So Rio's like, oh, wow, yeah, offering us places, offering us scholarships there, that sounds great. But I was like, well, I mean, after that, they went into a massive decline. They've been in a slump ever since. And I heard that the team was disbanded. But uh, in a very forward manner, the girl just like, Ten years ago, the team was disbanded. But if you come with me, you'll understand. And we cut to her, them all arriving at Kokoriyus on high school. These kids have had a packed day, haven't they? It's been very busy. Uh, and it's it it's a very kind of like throwback sort of building. It, I mean, it, it looks like it was built in like the 60s at least in Japan, probably before that. But uh, they go then to Kokoriyuzan's field, and Azu is like, oh, wow, this place is actually perfectly maintained. Uh, you know, there's no rocks in the field. The nets are in good shape. And she explains, yeah, last year I reinstated the baseball team and that the team's all registered. I'm currently signing up members, including scholarships for special recruits. And Azu's like, oh, wow, this could actually work. Special recruits, great facilities. Maybe we could make a dream team. So he asks of Karin, how many players have you signed up? And she's like, uh, uh, (laughs) it's just so hard to keep count. (laughs) Uh, And she's like, oh, it's about as many as Nagashima's uniform number. This is definitely the one asset to this series that is just going to go over, I think, all of our heads because short of someone who reads this series being like, oh, I know, you know, very famous Japanese baseball players. This is like how she thinks. It's like her gimmick to name numbers based off of Jersey numbers like this. And so she's like, so I was like, Nagashima, you mean three? You've recruited three people. And 
Karrion's like, well, yeah, but not just any three people. Between you guys and me, we're a golden trio. And I was like, you mean three, including us and Noah? You've got zero players? <laughs> and Karrion's like, nope. <laughs> so so uh, she says, I mean, I've been re- working on recruiting people, but you guys, you know, you guys are amazing. You're such a great battery. And so with you guys, I'm sure we'll attract a ton of players together. But Ozzy's like, yeah, but no one knows who we are. We're complete unknowns. So he grabs Zerito by the sleeve and starts dragging him around uh, the corner to talk to him privately. And he's like, that, that was not good. You know, having full scholarships, that's great. But if there's no team, then why are we even going to bother going to this school? And if we can't get other players, then... And he just imagines, like, them all being gathered in a club room watching the Koshian on TV and this being like, oh, it's too bad we couldn't get to be a full team. Oh, well. And he's like, I don't want you to waste your, you know, your potential high school baseball career that way. And uh, overhearing their conversation is the chairman, Karin's grandfather, who's like, oh, yes, you are correct. Uh, and they, you know, see that they've been talking like through an open window into his office. And he says, I regret that in my foolishness, I'm spoiling the youth of my granddaughter. And he flashes back to nine years ago to when Green was a little girl. And he says, shall I tell you the story of the nine dragons winning streak? And Chris, (laughs) when I turned the page and I saw that little girl looking up at him with her big wide eyes, so sincerely fascinated by this story, I was like, oh no, my heart. <laughs> I don't know if I can take this. She's like a fucking Disney character. She really is. And uh, she was so excited over this story. And, you know, we, this, the, we get little snatches of, of this conversation. He's like, oh, and then the cleanup hitter came up to bat. And she's like, yeah, and then what happened? And he admits that, you know, they were kind of the only source of pride our little school had. And I would tell her that story over and over again. And Korean's like, well, where are they now? Oh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, that's where she learned it from. Uh, well, <laughs> listen, did you notice I have a Hitler mustache? The goatee distracts from it. So <laughs> I just take a razor and I start underneath my eyes and I just go down the face. <laughs> And whatever's left afterwards stays. Here you go. So we see that as a little girl, she went out to the field and it was just in complete disrepair. It was basically being treated as like a junkyard. It seems like carts turned over, nets left and falling apart and stuff like that. And her grandfather just said, yeah, we couldn't get enough players. So we disbanded. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But Korean said, well, why would I be disappointed? Because if we did it once, we can do it again. And as a little girl, she says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring back the nine dragons. And we see the transition from her standing in this horrible, decrepit, uh, junk-filled field to the present where everything is new and well-maintained and clean. And Azu realizes that, oh, my God, that she, she did all of that by herself. And her grandfather says, I mean, no matter how much I try to convince her that it was hopeless, she was just so determined. And Azu remembers when things seemed hopeless for him, that he still set his mind on Hakuod, regardless of the fact that everyone said, you can't make it. And uh, 
Korean's grandfather says, I mean, she did all this work, and since she's starting high school, she's trying to recruit members, and I'm afraid her whole youth is going to be squandered on this hopeless dream. So maybe the two of you can convince her to just give it up, and maybe hearing it from you will help her to let it go. Uh, Maria says, you know, you sound like you care about her, but she seems to be enjoying herself, thanks to the dream that you gave her. He starts to walk off, and he says, I like this school. And I like that girl, so I'd like to play ball here with you, Azu. How about it? And Azu starts to bring up, well, what if it doesn't work? And he's like, no, don't worry about it. What do you want, Azu? And he thinks about, you know, the bits of hope that they had. And he thinks to make a dream team with people who believe in me the way these two believe in me. Of course I want to do that. And Ryu's like, well, then let's try and do it. No reason to just put a lid on what you want. And Azu starts to think, I mean, this is probably impossible. And again, he goes over his mind like all the times that, you know, he was working hard for his dream of playing for Hakuo and all the people who said, you don't stand a chance. And Azu's like, I've been telling these two and telling myself the same exact things that I hated to hear most from others. So that can't be right. There's got to be some way to do this. That's always been my approach, that nothing's impossible Whatever the goal, if I try hard enough, I can achieve it. And he thinks about all the prep work, mentally, that he did, trying to get into Hakuo, and things start to come together in his mind. And we see this manifest is like all of his notes, like flying around him like leaves, basically. And he's it is like, I think I've a beautiful moment. <laughs> so he runs back to Karina and he's like, I think I have it. A way to revive Kukuryuzan. The reason nobody signed up is clear. All the promising players who are sought after by the best schools have been claimed. So, we have to find promising players who aren't highly recruited. And Korean's like, I mean, is that a thing? And that's, I did appreciate that because, like, that's the exact thing that I'm like, I don't know if this is a thing. Can you do that? But he points out immediately, and it's like, oh, all right, it's coming together. I'll shut up now. I'll let you, I'll let you take the, the reins, writer who knows what they're doing. <laughs> He's like, we're going to gather together all of the Antonio Browns and Ray Rices of the world and make one super team. They're like, I guess that did just win a Super Bowl. So who am I to say? So he says there are strong players who have been blacklisted because of some sort of scandal. There are unconventional players who are dismissed despite their talents. There are mysterious players whose paths are unclear. Players who possess unusual talents are outside the mainstream and will round up that talent and will revive the Nine Dragons as a team of underdogs of the baseball world. We'll create a team that can beat Hakuo. That's the only way. And so we get this kind of bit of narration of like, you know, when a dream of reviving a legend meets an innocent spirit and those hearts all start pumping to the same beat a new dream is born and takes flight and they all come together and agree that they're going to do this. And Karin's grandfather sees them doing this and he's happy. And it's like, you know, you didn't get what you wanted, but in that moment, you know, like he sees that his granddaughter is having fun. And so mm -hmm. that's all that really matters. You were wrong about what was going to make her happy. But now that she's happy, he's happy. And it's like, yeah. that's nice. 
and it's established in two panels. <laughs> he it's shows perfect. up at the end of the panel. He's like, not going to make a baseball team of my watch. Just stomping up the field. <laughs> he's like, no, that's not what I asked you to do, stupid kids. I'll do it myself. And just starts throwing paint all over the field. I'm Nassau. I'm a bad person. I'm one of those bad old guys. Fuck you. Fuck this net. I'm going to snap all the wires. This takes off the goatee. <laughs> See? <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making a hill hit there now. I'm gonna take a dump on the base. <laughs> this is the second worst thing the Hitler's ever done. <laughs> All right. So Azu gets home that night and he thinks to himself, I don't know if this is the right choice or not, but I wonder why, even though it's a crazy dream and anyone we tell will probably laugh, I feel more excited than ever. And he tears this the paper off of his wall that said, you know, goal, Hakuo, because he's got a new goal now, of course. And he starts looking through his notes the way that he'd been thinking about before. And uh, he's making this chart and he falls asleep at his desk trying to make this plan. He's got like, you know, possible players up on this board under the different positions with only himself and Ryudo and Karin's names, you know, penned in on the board and just possibilities in all the other positions. And we get narration saying that in this precise moment, a new dream is beginning. And we see that there is one player's profile that uh, Azu had been scouting, Ken Yoshitaka, whose path is unclear. So presumably, shortly we'll be getting uh, them trying to recruit their first player. Yes, a slugger whose whereabouts are unknown. Yeah. From parts you know. unknown, the Undertaker is going to join the team. You guys aren't thinking about playing video games. <laughs> yeah. <are you? laughs> yeah. It's like, that's exactly where you have to go. How Undertaker's this old shitty boomer who's just like, how dare these kids play video games in the locker instead of doing drugs and bullying each other like we did in my days? <laughs> Anyway, I think we need to support the police. <laughs> Jackie K brings up a good point. Undertaker was from parts on the, uh, parts known. He was from Death Valley. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior, though, was not from his parts unknown. Also a problematic figure, but I don't know. I feel like I would be more up for it. As a, I want the baseball and it will go to parts unknown. Like stop shaking the net and hit the goddamn ball. He's like, no, I'm powering up. Every time that he goes up to bat, he runs around the bases first and then gets back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So yeah, this is chapter three. I mean, yes, right, right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't even have. It's in the closet right now. I don't even have the money in the bank briefcase this time. Because I was like, I want this. I want to look if this had sucked. I still would have been like, look, I just want a sports manga in the recap. So give it to me. Basically, I I need it. Uh, But because it's yeah, give me give me what I want. Uh, But because it's good, I really, really want it. So, yeah, I'm all for it. Keep it in the recap. (laughs) There is a laundry list of jump baseball series that have not worked out. We've and. we've covered at least two, I think. We definitely did Buddy Cross, I think was the name of the one, where it was like a catcher who stole the soul of his pitcher. Kaito drew it. It was it was his series after oh my God, you're right. <laughs> or Buddy Strike. That was it, Buddy Strike, yeah. Yeah, and I forgot about that. Jeez. Jeez. You're right. 
Um, so I hope that this works out and uh, that it continues to be in this quality or better um, and that people like it because, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. So, yeah, it should be it should be an exciting one to keep reading. Um, I want to actually I forgot to bring some stuff up earlier. So okay. before we move on to other stuff, there's a couple of bits of just like general things that happened related to jump uh, this week. First of all, um, One Piece has been holding like this worldwide character popularity poll over the mm-hmm. last uh, couple of months. It wrapped up at the end of February. Um, there was a big thing because like the midterm character rankings had come out. Um, and, you know, a lot of the usual suspects were on there. But uh, like Sabo was ranked really high and uh yamato was ranked really high apparently yamato is like the sixth most popular character in north america and africa which all right um i mean and i posted a picture from like the hot rankings recently it was like the last night of voting and the most popular character for at least a day from europe was Orlumbus? I just assumed that you had a VPN that you made like connected to some Spanish server and you were just clicking it over and over again. You're like, he's my favorite member of the Straw Hat Fleet. I was just like, how? Why? Well, aren't aren't the, the hot polls though, those aren't like the actual, I think they're just the ones who are getting the most votes at that time, right? Yes. Okay. For a particular region. Yeah, because so, there's been a lot of weird ones. There was a massive surge <laughs> ever anywhere for I, I do love the idea that there was like three people who like four people they did like that scene in first chapter of Yu-Gi-Oh or whatever the first thing where they draw like they drew like a hand on their uh our face on their hands and they were like together we are the Olympus crew as long as we have this mark on our hands and they all just Olympus kept voting popular character. and we'll all do the other we'll all do our iconic Olympus things like have a beard and throw barrels i think <laughs> i think that there's been a lot of mini campaigns amongst different sects of the uh one piece fandom because they hinted that there was going to be something special for everyone who made the top 100 so even characters that like had no chance of making the top 10 i think have gotten some weird amounts of support i think that god who the fuck like the mate the former mayor from luffy's hometown was like number 27 and i didn't i don't even remember his name it oh slapwood whoop slap that's what i actually had to look up i did not know that character's name so i was like who the fuck is that it's like the mayor from luffy's why is he in the top 25 <laughs> So there's been some weird things coming out of that. But, uh, I mean, it'll be interesting when the final results come out of that. The other thing that happened that I want to talk a little bit about was uh, Gege Akatami, the mangaka of Jujutsu Kaisen, and Kubo Tite did a joint interview together. And there was something that made the rounds of people saying, like, Kubo is making fun of Akatami for not drawing girls with big boobs. And I'm like, did he? And I looked at the interview and he kind of did. He would made he made like a point that Akutami seems to not want to draw a lot of very sexual female characters, yeah. it seems like. 
which but then they just kind of like, you know, agreed like, oh, well, you know, it seems to work for your series. And I just kind of did it differently. But the type of character that you draw a lot, I don't is not really my favorite kind of female character. You kind of do mostly just that. And but then later in the interview, they talk about what their preferred girl is, because one of the characters in, in Jujutsu Kaisen asks guys that question when he meets them. And Akatami's like, yeah, I wouldn't be able to answer that, so he'd beat me up. And Kubo's like, I like girls with big boobs. <laughs> Giant knockers! I want you to suffocate me in them. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that makes sense for Kubo. <laughs> He's like, hey, she should be a Nazi! <laughs> like, he shits it Giant can Nazis are my favorite. Like, all right, this interview's over, Mr. Kubo. <laughs> There's been some great interviews with the mangaka of late. Um, I think we talked. A, I talked a little bit about the. Uh, yeah, when we did, when we talked about. Um, oh gosh, I've forgotten this. Golden Kamui. I talked about how the mangaka did a joint interview with the mangaka of Vinland Saga mm-hmm. and asked about the comparisons of their series. They were like, "Yeah, I think people like that there are hot old men in both of our series. Just hot dude. Yeah. Best. All right." All right, it's time for Mashal Magic and Muscles, I believe. Yeah, no, it's time for Dr. Stone. It's time to get Stone, Nick. It's it's the final battle against Stanley because they know the enemy's location now. Uh, And Gen's like, what do we do? Because Sweek and the others have been captured. And, you know, now someone's going to run off and attack them. And yeah, Kohaku is is running off to attack them because she's, you know, Suik is in danger. She immediately springs into action. Uh, but uh, Ryusui and and Senku are like, I mean, that that's actually probably the best thing to do right now because we need to slow down Stanley's gang to buy us time to get our device ready. Um, we cut over to where uh, Suika, of course, is being held hostage. She observes as they're moving that the tracks that they're leaving as they as they travel aren't even very deep. Uh, Kohaku catches up to them very quickly and from a perch in the trees is observing everything and she's immediately like oh these guys don't have very any openings they're they're all covering each other's blind spots uh Hyoga and Sukasa then arrive on the scene shortly after that able to catch up because you know she's just sitting in the trees and uh Tsukasa's like yeah I mean these guys have modern military training from the 21st century so uh yeah this is uh, not going to be very easy to take advantage of. He sets off one of the noisemakers that Chrome had set up before when he was trying to have the remote uh, Medusa devices that they could have. Uh, and it creates a noise. And uh, they have repurposed the devices to basically set off simulated machine gun fire. And look, Ukyo's skill set is coming into play for once. <laughs> Uh, they basically do some foley work and because Ukyo is like, yeah, we're setting off these like explosions with the pistol, but it doesn't sound like, you know, proper machine gun fire coming out of this player. We need to actually do something that's not actually a gunshot to sound like a gunshot. So they're like banging plastic bottles instead. And then they layer the sounds on top of each other in order to create a recording of. Bang, 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 bang. So this noise goes off and uh, people are like, oh, my God, it's an ambush. Stanley's group starts opening fire on the location where the recording sounded off while uh, is her name like Mona something like that Maya 
The, uh, she also rushes off to like get to a kind of flanking position uh, accompanied by a couple of other soldiers. And while this is happening, Hyoga and Sagasa are observing their movements because Kohaku wants to spring to action and go and save Suika already. And uh, they're like, look, you know, if, if you go after them right now, there's still not a good opening. And if we get into a fight, even if you get the upper hand, then the hostages could die. And Hyoga also points out that they need to focus on destroying the enemy transceiver because, you know, if they create some chaos, they can cut off their communication and maintain their own, which means that they will win the conflict because they'll be able to effectively communicate and Stanley's side will not. So, uh, Kohaku is like, what are you talking about? And Hyoga says, well, think about this. Why don't we just hold a blade to Zeno's throat and demand that Stanley surrender? Why haven't we played that obvious card? And Tsukasa says, that's because back at their base, Nikki and several dozen of our allies are their hostages. And so because of that, there's a stalemate. But if they can't communicate with where those hostages are being held, they can't use those hostages against us. And Yoga is like, and we can take our sweet time cutting off Zeno's fingers, toes, and appendages until Stanley's team surrenders. <laughs> and Kuhaku's like, what the fuck? <laughs> She's like, all right, I, I forgot you're like our evil teammate. <laughs> And she points out, well, yeah, that's still not going to work, though, because Suika and Ginro and Francois and the others are, are, are been captured. So they'll so that they still have hostages. And Yoga's like, look, all of our lives are in the balance here. So if we have to give a four to bring about our victory, then we should consider that. <laughs> but Sukas is like, OK, let's just ignore him. Cutting off their communication would be a good thing. Uh, because even if if the Stanley if this uh, if the transceiver is destroyed, Stanley's team has to stop everything in order to repair it, which means that they'll be delayed, and we can buy more time for our side. So it's still something we should consider doing. Uh, at that moment, Maya senses something, and she declares, "My instincts as the all-American women's division MMA champ are telling me something." <laughs> would have been brought up at some other point, but okay, thank you for establishing this. <laughs> I like that she shouted it out to herself as well. Like, she's like, let me explain why I found you. <laughs> uh, but she has sensed uh, Kohaku and the other's presence, and she just goes, found you, with this big demented grin in her face, draws her sword, and a bunch of other guns come into play, and Yoga's like, well, we're gonna die now. But, uh, Sukasa and Kohaku both agree that, look, we're not just going to lay down and die. Before we die, we need to destroy that transceiver. So Kohaku and Hyoga and Sukasa are going to go back, marching into battle together, and as are Hyoga and Sukasa's nipples. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone took off their shirts, basically. Everyone's like, if we're going to die, we're going to do a bare chested. <laughs> it's easier to move around that way, obviously. Yeah. They leap into action with their weapons drawn, and there's this big use me as your desktop wallpaper shot of yeah. them diving down while Maya and two soldiers are, are going up. So, cool shot. Alright, that's uh, that's Dr. Stone. What yeah. do you think? Uh, honestly, I didn't care for this chapter very much. I may, I think it just might be because I don't care about Maya as a character, so like the conflict <laughs> there doesn't really do anything for me. Um. 
I do like the notion of like, hey, we have a plan. If we destroy their transceiver, we basically kind of win because then they can't communicate and they don't have a threat to hold over our heads anymore. So we would win by that nature. So I like that that showed up, but it's also just one of those things that like, I don't know, like we're just the, 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 the fighter characters are right out and they're doing stuff now. It's one of those things that's like, oh, it's kind of like building a lot more into the tension of like what happens when these characters show up, who's going to be the person who's going to be able to like break them out. And, you know, like now that their plan of like having somebody on the outside come in is gone. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But yeah, this chapter didn't particularly do a whole lot for me. I believe that that's like. Wait, where's Kinro right now? Is he with the American team? Kinro is the glasses brother. Yes. Yeah, he's with the American team. So I think that's like all their capable fighters are indisposed then at the moment. So it's going to be down to yes. can the science team whip stuff up. And that's basically it. So, Well, it's also, I guess, how these characters survive. Because their plan was everyone gets turned to stone, but then someone comes up and basically unfreezes us. Um, yes. That is it going to be as important of a thing if these guys all get shot full of bullets immediately and just like, you know, executed. <laughs> That's the next chapter is. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't really need two fighters. Sorry, Yoga. <laughs> all right, Nick, let's move forward. Let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles. Chapter 52, Finn Ames and the Friend. So we start the chapter with Finn Begging for his worthless life, as a super mutant mm -hmm. would often tell to me in uh, Fallout 4. He says, I beg you, I'll kiss your feet or even lick your toes. Just please save me. Uh, as Carpaccio, Carpaccio is uh, there and the summon this demonic nurse angel thing that yeah. vanishes very quickly. Hell nurse reficle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he just says, you, you're, you're Finn Ames. You're the continuing student who barely made the cutoff. And Finn's like, I've become famous in the worst way. <laughs> He's like, oh, I remember you. From the depths of my heart, I always wondered, why were you at Easton? And here you are at the Divine Visionary exams. Did your brother get you in? I can't help but feel disgusted when I see talentless trash like you. Give me your crystal. It's not right you're here. Hand it over. And Finn is like, this guy is so scary he is maybe the scariest person i've had because he has no emotion in his eyes it's just intensity of like give me your fucking crystal right now you worthless talentless person give it to me uh but finn thinks he says you know this crystal holds mash's future in it so he grabs it clutches it puts it into his his coat pocket he says i'm gonna protect it until the very end and immediately his chest explodes with blood he's like why am i bleeding and Capacio's just like, what were you doing just now? I asked you what someone so weak is doing acting like a big shot. And Finn just starts thinking like, ah, so this, this, you know, that feeling you get when you're really, really scared, when your, your blood vessels seem to squeeze shut and a cold chill clamps down upon your heart. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling right now. And Carpaccio's just like, yeah, you clearly recognize the difference here, right? So, you're going to lose it anyway. Just give me the crystal and you don't have to get hurt, basically. You don't want to end up like that guy, do you? He just coats over to the dude he dealt with before. Who I don't, I don't know if he's like bleeding out right now. He's just like, <gasps> I guess the crystal is supposed to teleport you back or the game's supposed to teleport you back if you were dying. But like, <laughs> it still looks pretty brutal. Psychopatio gets him one last time. He's like, all right, I, I'm asking you. Give it up. And 
we 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 see Finn start to reach into his coat. And uh, we cut away, we go over to Margaret, who's basically like, so there's three standouts in this competition, besides myself. Mash, who can't use magic. Lance, who was the first place among entering students. And then the person who maintained first position among the continuing students, Carpaccio Luyang, who, like me, is somebody who's never really had an interest in becoming Divine Visionary, but it seems very likely Order cut him another deal. And he has a, na- a wand fit to be a natural treader. In fact, it would be no exaggeration to call him the best in the school. And Margaret like finishes off by just like giving like a prayer, basically, of just like, I like to thank the blessings in the earth, you know, for your parents for giving birth to me. And we cut over and Finn is just bleeding again as the angel is shown back up. Uh, Carpaccio basically is like, hey, hey, just give me the fucking crystal. I don't get why you're doing this. And Finn's like, I have to protect it. He's underestimating. Now's my chance. I haven't used my personal magic yet. And he <gasps> shouts out, Dangerous! And Carpaccio looks up. We see all these stalag- uh, stalactites above him. And he's like, wait, nothing. <laughs> and then Finn just starts booking it. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a cheap trick. Uh, but then we actually do hear another spell. Changas get used. And he's like, wait, this is where I broke that first crystal. And the student I beat is gone. Did he use his magic to swap the position of things? Oh, and Finn's just like right away like, oh man, I was so smart to use my personal magic until the last possible one. Now I'll be able to have, oh God, my leg. Oh God, it hurts. Oh God. And he just hears Carpaccio heading towards him because he can hear all the footsteps. And Carpaccio's like, is this some kind of last ditch effort? You really ought to know by now how different we are. Give it here. And Finn is not doing it, so he says, Weaklings need to step down. And he grabs a knife and just starts stabbing himself in the chest. And we see Finn is taking all the damage, so it is clearly a magic that transfers wounds. As the audience looks on, they're like, This is getting pretty gruesome. Uh, Finn just says, You'll never take this. And we see a, a little montage of all the moments he shared with MASH. About Mash say, boy, I'm really glad to have you for a friend. And, you know, when they had the Mandrake. And then just recently when they all went out to the town. And Finn says, I'm a loser and a coward. But I'll never stoop so low as to abandon a friend. And he tries to cast a spell. But before he can cast it, Carpaccio stabs himself in the chest again. And basically takes down Finn completely. Like, Finn's just down. And he's just like, ah... God, it's ugly. Stop stop trying to do this and never succeeding. You're bothering me. I'm going to show you that your efforts are wasted. And he takes the knife and holds it up to his throat. And like the audience is like, oh, <laughs> this is really bad. And he, he's not going to do it. Finn's not going to give up. And before he can actually cut his throat, Mash runs in and we get a big two-page spread of him basically grabbing Carpaccio by the head and just slamming him into a wall. And Carpaccio ends the chat or Bash ends the chapter by saying, They're not wasted because I'm here. Finn, and there's a big, almost a full page spread of him saying, Thank you. That's the end of the chapter. So this is I I don't wanna I feel like it's perfectly on brand for us to go for a few weeks, like, you know, we've never seen Finn actually use his magic or anything like that. I wonder what he does. I wonder if it's you know really poor. And he uses it to run away yeah <laughs> it's and it's a potentially really powerful ability i i've we, the jujutsu kaisen anime has just shown that i was gonna say will, so it could be very helpful in combat but uh 
the the fact that you know that's what he does and he just uses it to run away is <laughs> it's like yeah you had a year of build up and there you go that's your thing <laughs> but um i appreciate that and this is a really n- nice standout chapter for finn you know not getting him to the point where he is a strong combatant or anything yet a lot of you know uh, the sporting characters and Mashal have had that sort of moment and he's just not strong yet at least but you know it takes all types and uh he you know you, you had a big uh, the thing on twitter where you explained why this was so impactful for you yeah it, this chapter just hit me in a lot of very strong ways i i could understand the moment in and of itself is not unorthodox for a shonen series or anything like that you know a character basically being hurt over and over again because they they refuse they trust in their friend they're you know whatever it might be they're basically going to you know protect their friend at any cost to their own physical well-being or whatever you know friendship effort victory the whole shonen jump thing this is just a regular classic example of it but it just hit very hard in a way for me um seeing how much Finn's willing to go through and because Finn is the one doing it, he's sort of the coward of the group, but he's also kind of the one who has the best finger on the pulse of the situation. He's the one that's kind of noticed the situation Mash has been in. He's the one who kind of pointed out before like, Oh, Mash is terrified to be here. And Mash was in the big stadium and he's like, I want to go home. Like Finn's the person who kind of knows Mash doesn't want to be here the most. Mm -hmm. And he has, Nothing to like, not I should say nothing to gain, but he has everything to lose here. Like, Finn's the son or the little brother of basically a celebrity for how we know the perspective of the Mashal universe right now. Like, he has nothing to lose or nothing to really gain here, but or a lot to lose rather. And it just meant a lot that he was willing to do all this. And it's just that moment of Mash at the end where he just says thank you, just really hit me in, in such a, a profound way that I, I really enjoyed it. And no, no, it meant a lot to me. It was a really, really good moment. I feel like it says, I mean, the friendship between Mash and Finn has kind of been the entire point of Finn mm-hmm. in this series thus far. He was Mash's first friend uh, at the school, and the way that they became friends was because Finn was getting picked on and exploited, and he was going to betray Mash, and despite that, Mash stood up for him, and so when he it came down to it every single time it's come down to it finn will side with his friend even if he's terrified and doesn't think that he can actually do anything and he does in this moment literally the one thing that he can do which is just be stubborn and refuse to give up on mash because even if he can't do anything it would be worse for him to directly you know betray mash's trust and friendship and doom him to never being accepted by society so it's it's a nice it's a great standout chapter for for Finn and I look forward to eventually seeing him be able to do more than just be a punching bag that gets rescued because yeah. it feels like it'll have to happen eventually. There was still the tease as well that he tried to use an offensive magic or something mm-hmm. to fight back and was stabbed before he could get it off. So, you know, there's all that. But listen, if it, if Black Clover has taught me anything, it's that spells that change the locations of things can't be used offensively no so (laughs) (laughs) all right let's move on to ayakashi triangle chapter 34 origami folding gods oh wait i thought the title was uh and thus begins the harem no that was 
three chapters ago, I feel like. <laughs> We're in it now. They're all going to the same school. Uh, Matsuri is apparently getting some frustration out by doing ninja exorcist training uh, while he reflects on the whole situation with Suzu's connection with Garaku. Uh, but he's having difficulty concentrating. Suzu's butt. Uh, <laughs> and... She's thinking about... Um, no, uh, Nick, stop. It is very, very vitally important that we know that Suzu bays herself using an omokage to help scrub her back. Don't act like it's not vitally important that she is having all of these thoughts in the bathroom. Okay. So, if we didn't know how she used her powers to help herself bathe, then why does she even have them? You know, what's weird is that, like... If not for the very obvious reason that we established this the way, and the way that it's established, I would actually think that that's kind of fun in a way. Like, I'm now that I have these powers, I'll use them for a very practical, selfish purpose. <laughs> there are parts of my body I have trouble reaching when I bathe. Well, so I'm going to clone myself. <laughs> like, all right, sure. I get it. Um... <laughs> then also she's like we're, she's like kind of in a way knows she's being watched because she's like yeah so what this is handy shut up <laughs> <laughs> but she establishes like look it sounds like my past life was amazing because she was able to deal with that scary Chirizuka Kayo guy and my powers can't even revive Shirogane I can't get rid of the gender swap jutsu. I need to raise my specs. I need to I need to get an aid in all my stats and then turn them on their sides in order to get become a better Ayakashi medium. Her friends show up and they tell her that Matsuri seems to have gone to go see Ninokuru. So Suzu rushes off. Uh, we then cut outside to where Shirogane is just wandering around as a stray cat. And he's just like, I want, I love this because the female students give me presents. <laughs> like, All right. That's how a cat would think. But uh, then, yeah, then he's like, but I sense something. Oh, well, I'm going back to Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times things have snuck up on you guys. And you're just like, oh, well, <laughs> whatever. We see around the corner of a building, a footprint appear in the dirt. Ooh, what could this mean? Uh, Matsuri has gone to talk with Nino Kuru, and uh, Matsuri basically has just informed him of the whole situation involving Garaku and uh, the previous the Suzu's previous life. And Nino Kuru is like, "Ah, so that's why you were so flustered." Matsuri is like, "Yes, and definitely not because I was under the influence of well, mood altering drugs that Rayo gave me in order to sexually exploit me." But let's not think about that. <laughs> let's not talk about that right now. You know, Kuru is a big old nerd uh, because he says the past life trope is strong in fiction, even stronger than the childhood friend trope. But then he, you know, it's really weird because he's a good friend. He's just like, look, there's only one thing you can do. Make the childhood friend trope superior to the past life trope. Just overcome this possibility. And I believe in you. <laughs> and Matsuri is like, oh, that's so great, Neo Kuru. I don't know. I don't know. Why do you know the word trope? And his and po, his Poe guy is just like, yeah, he's a giant nerd. It's like it's okay. Like it seems like every character in this series is a giant nerd in one respect or another. So that's fine. Yeah. 
they hear a, a noise uh, over by the wall, so immediately they take combat stances. Poe is like, I ship them! Okay. Uh, cut outside. Suzu's gone to see Garaku and wants some, you know, idea of how to use stronger jutsu the way that Mei did. And Garaku's like, well, you're going to be capable of it because you're the Ayakashi medium. But Suzu's like, hmm, but how do I start? And Garaku's trying to tease her about her situation with Matsuri. And she's like, well, listen, look, I'm the king of Ayakashi, so I should get stronger. Uh, Garaku's like, I heard that you went with Matsuri to have a fun changing party, right, Shiragane? And Suzu's like, shut up, that's not your business. Garaku's like, all right, enough teasing. I'll actually do the thing that you want my help for now, anyway. Very seamless transition in this conversation. So, I've already told you what's important. What Mei used to train her power from a young age, origami. So, I feel like you've basically just grown content with just tossing cranes around as servants. Once you're satisfied, that's when you stop improving. So, we cut over to Matsuri, who is spying on them, basically. Uh, Suzu's friends tease him about this. Uh, and then they see, like, ooh, Suzu's alone with Garaku Gutagawa. And Yo is like, could it be that Suzu is into older men? And Lou says, who knew she was interested in more than just dessert? Which I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I don't want you to tell me. Well, all of you out there. I mean, we do know she only likes sweets. So it's the idea of being like, oh, she's not only interested in sweets. Oh, uh, okay. I was worried it was some form of euphemism. Right. Oh, no. Like, she was just like, oh, what? She likes fucking giant dump truck butts or something like that. And she's like, that guy doesn't have one. I thought she's only interested in the desserts. No, it just meant she eats a lot of fucking cream pies and bullshit. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Matsuri is upset about this. There's he nearly lets it drop the Garaku as an Ayakashi, but then Matsuri's stalkers show up and they're like, "What do you think about our idea of us exploiting your body to get views?" Uh, Matsuri runs away, uh, and uh, then <laughs> I forgot. No, 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 Nick, continue. I want to know what happens in the next page. I, I can't, so, I can't flip. Describe it to me. <laughs> Matsuri <laughs> manages to escape his stalkers by doing like a ninja like pose against the ceiling thing. Ah, so like it's and... a cool from below shot looking up, like in one of those things. No. Like they just... Oh, really? How 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 is Matsuri posed then, Nick? We see like a where where is the ca where is the camera framed in this shot? <laughs> it's right up his skirt. <laughs> oh, like far away, so you can only like you know no. you want to. <laughs> It's it's you need to stare at this panel for several seconds in order to understand what's actually going on. <laughs> and then it shows you the pose the monster he took in the corner. <laughs> Which, by the way, you still can already get a panty shot in. So they wanted to make sure you got it both times. God. But uh, Matsuri is like, you know, I keep on sensing something. And I know it's not those two, and I don't know where it's coming from. Could it be an Ayakashi after Suzu, just like Chirizuka Kayo? Uh, Suzu, at that moment, catches, uh, happens to run into Matsuri. Matsuri, of course, is still paranoid. He's like, there's something around here. Um, 
but sure and sure guy's like mm, it wasn't our imagination that there was something present but i can't tell where it is so suzu flashes back to what garaka was telling her about yeah, you need to understand the essence of the of the origami jutsu and understanding will lead to application which will in turn lead to new powers so Matsuri's about to use calm formation the you know wind technique in order to sense this but suzu's like hold on i've got an idea and she says, I mean, I've only ever tried to move things that are folded into creatures in, you know, like a like a paper plane. I can't, you know, move it no matter how much life force I put into it. But if I provide meaning to things with the shape of life, then how about this? And she folds an origami dog and the origami dog sniffs out the thing that's been sneaking around. So it's like, oh, that's cool. That's a little, little uh, extra gimmick to uh, her ability. Uh, so. It senses an invisible thing that starts to kind of move around as it's been approached. Suzu sends out a few more origami servants, which reveal Rayo was wearing an invisibility cloak and sneaking around the school for a reason. Anyway. Because so, she can. Yeah, yeah pretty because much. Because she can. <laughs> Rayo's like, I'm into your smell too, Suzu. All right. So, uh... That's happening, and then Rayo's like, "Oh, you have such a." Anyway, so <laughs> can I can I at least comment on one thing that I appreciate yes. in somewhat an ironic sense? At least, uh, oh god, what's his name? Uh, Yabuki. 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 At least Yabuki is on French Street with the fetish. Yes, it's not hidden. It's not like Kira where it's like, oh no, it's just this one weird character wanted to like have a thing where he like, you know, mind controls women or this character just has a smell fetish. It's fucking out there on Front Street. It's never changing. It's always going to be like that. I appreciate one level of that honesty, at least. And uh, Shirogane has a uh, shame fetish because he immediately just jumps in and is like, you perverts and breaks them up. So Matsuri is like, what what are you here for? And Rayo says, well, you were really distraught the other day, and I've never seen you like that before, so I was curious, and I realized you were probably dealing with problems that I had no idea about, and I can't help you if I only ever see you at the shop once in a while. So that's, you know, there's room for improvement there. Uh, and that's why. And we cut to the principal's office, where Rayo shows up in a school uniform and says, thanks for accepting this sudden transfer request, Grandma. <laughs> So it's nepotism that she's able to just randomly change schools like this. Um, and they do some a little bit of establishments because, you know, their grandmother's like, I mean, you know, I could have got you into this school before. Why are you changing your mind now? And Rayo's like, yeah, well, I mean, I changed my mind because I'm Matsuri's partner and I want to be able to, you know, do be a better partner with uh, to him. So, uh and that's it. That's the end of the chapter is that Rayo is going to be joining the school as a student as well as being, you know, the shop equip uh, helper person. Huzzah. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Uh, hold on. I'm trying to investigate something right now. Okay. Do you want me to just move on? Or... No, I, I'm trying to. So I'm looking at Rayo's outfit and I'm yes, trying to know or... her work outfit or whatever. Uh, I'm trying to tell, because at first I just thought it was, like, a bodysuit shirt thing or something like that. 
And then from the way the one panel looked, I thought she was wearing a sheer apron over top of it. But I think what she's basically wearing is like a tube top and then like an apron over top of that. I just wanted to see if she was wearing a sheer apron because I was like, what would be the point? (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to be clear about that. Uh, This is that stupid chapter that's all about setting up the, the harem. So, you know. How many more members of this harem do you think we're going to get overall? And keep in mind that Yabaki was the artist for To Love Ru, which had that like is true. Uh, so, girls in it or something. So it depends on how the harem is constructed, because I consider Ninokuru to be a part of the harem already. Yes, I agree. So if it's Ninokuru, Suzu, and Ryo, that's already three. I don't yes. really put Garaku in it. He's he's kind of a the a wild card, I guess, right now. Um, and keep in mind that Lou has run into Matsuri's male uh, appearance in her dreams and has a crush of some sort on him. I'm trying. I right now, I'm not including them, but they okay. have time. They they haven't shown up frequently enough for me to think that they're part. But that might just that might develop in time. But I'm gonna say. We're going to get at least two more girls at some point in this. And maybe, yeah. I am going to say that, and let's define this as specifically characters that have a love interest in Suzu and or Matsuri or some aspect of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm even counting Garaku in this because, I mean, I think that it's fair to say that he has been positioned as a love rival for Matsuri for Suzu. So I'm going to put the total web of people with a direct interest in either Matsuri or Suzu at 10 okay. by the end of this. That's I, like, you might be very right. Cause it's got, and I'm cause, so keep in mind that that's like going to be like overlapping harems or something like that. Mm. So, all right. Uh, let's finish things up with One Piece because there was no Black Clover chapter this week. Um, all my friends are here, including Orlumbist. <laughs> is he? Uh, hold on, he might be in here. This is uh, Harjin's right there. So yeah. Orlumbist actually probably is in this shot somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. But I'm gonna look around. Yeah. <laughs> All right, chapter 1005, Demon Child. Okay, so I'm trying to, okay, where do we, where to begin? Uh, so Black Maria had Sanji captive and was demanding that uh, he call for Robin's help because they want to capture Robin because she's important because of the cubes that name I forgot. So... <laughs> Listen, this is a one piece element. I'm going to forget names. So she has got a spider thing going on because, you know, she's, of course, you know, got the spider smile fruit thing. She's strung up a lot of webs all over the place. And she's like, oh, I've gotten you stuck. And in the back, my girls are waiting with tranquilizer guns. So I just need to call you here. You to call her here. And she takes out some brass knuckles and starts just punching Sanji in the fucking face. It's like, all right. <laughs> Over, I've got shit to do. <laughs> so, 
Uh, she just keeps punching him until eventually he's like, wait, hi, all right, give me, hold on, just one little thing. And they're like, oh, oh, he's going to say something defiant, like eat crap before he dies. Don't make her mad now. And he just goes, help me, Robin. <laughs> and I was like, well, he, he just called for her. Uh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and his call for help gets broadcast over the whole facility. And he's like, I'm sorry, I got taken prisoner. And there are people, of course, who are reacting to this like, oh, my God, it's so pathetic. He got taken prisoner. Uh, but Sanja says, they're going to kill me if you don't save me. Um, so everyone's like, I mean, this is very obviously a trap to capture Robin. All right. Uh, Marco says, these guys are fun. Thank you, Marco. That contributed a lot. Uh, <laughs> well, we do see a little bit. We So we learned a couple things as we kind of zoom around. We see that the fight with Apu and Drake is still going on. I thought that was Basil Hawkins for a moment in the, the panel next to Chopper, but I don't know who that is. It just looks like Hawkins when he goes into his full form. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not 100% certain. But we also see King is in the in there fighting with Marco as well. So like we can kind of get a little bit of an idea of the conflicts going on. Um, so that happens. Nami hears this and is like, well, he got caught by a woman, I guess. That's no surprise. But Usopp spots that, wait a minute, his voice is coming from that thing. And he spots a cat that has one of the eye uh, papers over its face. We cut back to Sanji and Black Maria, and she's like, that's unbelievable. Sanji's like, all right, let me down. I called for her. Uh, and Black Maria's like, no, you, you said you love me. It's This is not for business anymore. It's personal. You'll join them as one of my little pets. And it cuts to behind Sandy where there are some other men who are strung up in webs. And they're like, we love Miss Black Maria. See, they can't survive without me. And Sanji declares, but I want to love all the ladies. Okay. There was a part of me that was hoping he was going to say that he loves one particular lady, but, you know, whatever. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I guess that, that was stripped from his mind. Never mind. It would it wouldn't make sense that he said that. Oh, yeah, that makes me sad. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so Black Maria is like, don't go cheating on me like that. She's going to punch him with the brass knuckles again. Uh and Sanji's like, oh, no, I wouldn't want to hurt a lady's fist. So my color of arm and hockey is going soft. Like, I don't want to hurt your fingers with my face with because my my hockey is so strong. And that's like, ow, ow. And, you know, you're very manly. Well, it's, it's, it's an erection joke as well. It's going soft. Yeah, there you go. Robin shows up and with a giant arm slaps Black Mary across the face and sends her flying uh, Black Maria's like, how the hell did you get, get inside here? And Robin's like, I can bloom anywhere. Well, yeah, it's kind of terrifying when you think about it. Robin's powers are stupid. Like, she's ridiculously powerful. Like, insanely so. So, Robin declares, did you imagine that if you lured me inside, I would be that easy to capture? I spent a lot of time working in evil organizations. And when someone does something horrible to my friends the demon part of me starts to emerge. She gets a really cool little, little uh, appearance here. I love it uh, because the the demon child has always been like her bounty tagline. 
And it was always just like, you know, backward or poster basically was a picture of her as a child because she was a child with this knowledge. She doomed everyone she met. I do really like her kind of taking ownership of the term demon and having that moment of being like, look, sometimes you mess with me, then the demon comes out. And I'm like, it's a supremely cool moment where she gets to look really, really awesome. And purple monkey dishwasher. I'm trying to cover for Nick as he coughs. Yeah, that was fights. unfortunate. <laughs> I was like, I know, I'll take a drink of water. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it happens occasionally, you know. Uh, Brooke is backing up Robin as well. He uses his ice abilities to freeze off the webs and trapping Sanji. And uh, then <laughs> there's a moment where like, he looks at all of Black Maria's servants and is like, Oh, spooky monsters! <laughs> <laughs> I do love Brooke. Ah, monsters! <laughs> uh, Sanji realizes he's not going to be of any help fighting against all women. So he's like, I'm, I'm going I'm going to leave here. I don't think I can win. And Robin and Brooke are like, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> you suck. You're, use- <laughs> you're useless against half the population of the planet. You su- <laughs> so, uh, Black Maria is like, I'm going to stop you. And Robin's like, oh, is that going to be your last will? But the demon side fades briefly because she calls out to Sanji and says, thanks for, on relying me. Uh, thanks for relying on me for help. I appreciate that. And Sanji is just looking over his shoulder with hearts in his eyes as he runs as Brooke says, watch out. I froze the floor there and he slips and falls. (laughs) All right. Sometimes Sanji Sanji is a woman loving dope jokes are funny. Yes. So we cut then to where Yamato and Momonosuke are and Shinobu are, were hidden and uh, they the, the mouse spy that was in the room with them got also exposed because Sanji's voice was coming out of it. And uh, Yamato was able to uh, realize, like, oh, this is part of my father's surveillance force, the Marys. It's a cyborg, a mechanical animal that wanders around the island without purpose, but that shares their eyesight with the human Marys, which means they know we're here. And at that moment, people start banging on the door of the storeroom and they're trying to get inside. Uh and uh, so Shinobu's like, okay, uh, Yamato, uh, where can I take Gloria Momonosuke where he won't be seen? And they're tra- going to just, like bash the door down with a log outside. So Yamato goes, Momonosuke, hop inside my clothes and opens up his gi thing and is like, hide in my breasts. Yes. So listen, I'm pretty sure, guys, that the reason that Atra Oda introduced a trans man into the story but had them still have boobs it's just because he likes drawn boobs and uh i think that's about it mm-hmm. so the fair one might be the case <clears throat> but there is a cool moment after this because yamato leads shinobu into battle after they just break the door down for the guys and start engaging them in battle and yamato says we have to knock them all out or someone will see us <laughs> We won't be seen if we just beat them up. <laughs> that old classic ninja technique of let's kill everyone. Then they can't report us. <laughs> Listen, Chris, sometimes things go wrong when I'm playing Hitman. Yeah. And I just need the witnesses to be gone. <laughs> I was like, I played a game of Hitman and killed every NPC I found. And the game gave me a, a bad score at the end of it. <laughs> Who reported me, Nick? Who reported me? <laughs> no one. <laughs> I literally played through the last level of the of that uh 2017 game 
as the ninja, which you can unlock after doing it right the first time. And I literally just went through and just killed everyone who spotted me. <laughs> I had like 50 non-target kills. <laughs> They're like, Agent 47, we appreciate that you managed to recover the intel. <laughs> the, the North Carolina Women's Choir, though, was also investigating the museum. No, no, no. <laughs> they were all security guards with guns that were trying to stop me. I punched out all the other people. <laughs> It's like a little kid who's just like, hey, I thought I heard something over there, but I definitely didn't see it. You still like, can't take that chance. And you like tiptoe <laughs> over and just front jab this kid in the face. Uh, it's the ninja way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like ninja. Boom. <laughs> that is exactly how I played that game is I would go around and every time I killed someone, it's like ninja. <laughs> you don't see me. And eventually I, got, I was like, there's too many people coming. Got to take take this guy's gun. Ninja, ninja, ninja. Yeah, like quiet as a shadow. Meanwhile, you strung up a guy by like his intestines wrapped around his throat. Like it's the most violent ninja kills. The evacuation got sounded like three minutes into my playthrough and I had to chase down the first target. And then I was like, all right, this next one, I could take my time because he's bedridden and you're supposed to interfere with the, with the surgery. <laughs> and I was like, it'll just be easier if I just shoot him in the head. <laughs> all right, let's go. Done and done. Oh man. Anyway, that's the most fun I've ever had playing it, man. But it's a great game if you've never played it. All right. Uh, to wrap up this chapter, we cut to the third floor of the facility Jack's not done yet. He has stapled that tusk back to his face, and he is trying to make his way, it seems, towards Black Maria. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, there's, like, a call for Black Maria, uh, and I think it's Jack saying, I'll go and snuff out those samurai, so... I think I think he's headed towards where Kinemon and everyone are. So right. the idea would be Sanji might intersect with him, but that seems like kind of a low-grade fight for Sanji. Does. This guy who's, you know, lost. Lost repeated. every fight he's been in. <laughs> but he does, he seems like he's trying to settle things with Cat Viper, Dogstorm, and Rizo. So it makes yeah. sense. Uh, then we cut over to Black Maria, who uh, has decided to get serious by getting topless. Uh, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. It's a cool pose that she strikes with her back turned and the sigil on her back showing. And she's got this weapon that has like a burning monk's head set in the head of her club. There's like a whole like lore over this about some type of demon that this is. that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but she declares to Robin, you have good timing and I appreciate you taking care. Uh, she says this to Jack, actually, over the line. You have good timing. I appreciate you taking care of that for me. Then she says to Robin, at the end of this, you're going to belong to Master Kaido. And she turns to look at, at Robin and Brooke. And Robin says, no, thanks. I'd rather be dead. And Brooke is, meanwhile, going like, oh, <laughs> boobs. Uh, it's I don't know what it says about me. I didn't even notice she had gone topless the first couple times because like, look at that sweet ass weapon, this giant flaming circle mace thing with dude's head in it. This is the coolest thing in the world. And I was like, on the second time, I was like, oh, I guess she took her her shirt off. I guess that's cool too. I didn't even notice she had a tattoo. I was just like, uh, oh, well, I guess just one of those weird pose things. I was really enchanted by that weird weapon though. Yeah, um, I would guess that presumably there's going to be 
long hair used for discretion shots during this battle and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, this was kind of a surprising turn that's unfolded over the last couple of chapters, which is uh, Robin's going to get a fight, it seems. Like mm. a full-on like important fight against one of the Toby Rapo, So Yeah, I mean, it made sense that it wasn't going to be Sanji. I didn't think that we were going to get his character trait changed here. And if it was, it mm-hmm. felt weird to be against Black Maria, who's just a Toby Ropo member, as opposed to like one of the headliners or something like that. Um, but I, I, I'm super excited for it. Like Robin having like her own fight has not happened, as we mentioned, since like Sky Pia. So I'm actually really excited to see her. Like I completely forgot her naming her attack name convention was like Spanish until I saw like the Giganto Flores, whatever. I was like, oh, right. That's what her attacks are usually called. Because I think she I think she stomped somebody when they did the Fishman Island arc. And like, I just can't Mm -hmm. remember anything else she's done since then. So I'm really excited to see her have her own fight here. I think it could be super cool. And uh I'm really excited for it. I'm also kind of excited Brooks there. I don't know. Like, part of me is like, ah, I want this to be like a solo Robin fight. But I'm also really kind of excited to see two Straw Hats have to work together to beat a foe. Like, yeah. I don't think Robin needs it. She's crazy powerful. But, like, I'm also just kind like kind of excited to see, like, two Straw Hats work together in a fight. And two in particular that haven't really gotten a lot of uh, spotlight fights. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting chapter. There's, you know, some flaws with it that we did briefly mention. But that, uh, overall, I really like this. And I really like that Robin got to have a moment where she was a big freaking hero to, to mm-hmm. Sanji. Uh, because, like, the last time she really got to do anything was when she was just kind of there with Rebecca. And then her dad showed up and did the fight instead. So, yeah. All right, that wraps up the manga for this week. Let's go over our favorites, favorite series and MVP. I think mine are already in the system. It's 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 <laughs> it's Mashal and Finn. I I, I I stated on Twitter, I was like, the chapter almost got me to cry. So I feel like I have to give it to that. Like, it's just if, if it hits me that hard, it's going to be like it. I'm definitely going to agree with Finn. I thought that, you know, this was a very important chapter for his development uh, but my favorite chapter this week, uh, there were a couple of damn good ones, honestly. Um, I am going to go with uh, the elusive samurai um, just for, you know, okay. showing off, you know, this unit of, of Tokyukis has come together and it, it looks promising. And I love just every element of, you know, how they play off of each other. Just like, hey, they're a cool unit. They're also freaking kids, and so they get bratty when their meal's been taken from them. They spend a lot of time just hanging out and coming up with a dorky nickname for their little club, even though it's a very important thing in a war. Uh, it makes them seem like kids, and I like that. So, Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Uh, the audience, by the way, picked World Trigger. Uh, there's actually a tie. It's World Trigger. Which, hey, that's fair. The other one was Nine Balls Dragon Parade, or Nine Dragons Ball Parade. So, it was um, also good. So. Yeah, I think both of those are really good. And then Finn won MVP this week. Yeah, cool. That is going to do it for a weekly manga recap. We want to thank you for joining us. We record the show here on twitch.tv slash Wednesdays around 7.30 Eastern time. 
Uh, you can also check us on Twitter to get updates on when exactly we're going to begin the show at WMR Podcast for the podcast account and at Reloti and at Nick F. Time for your hosts. You can also join us on Discord. Take part in the community's discussions about the manga that we're covering, the manga that uh, come as they come out uh, chapter by chapter, and all sorts of other stuff. Weekly Among Us is a game that takes that we uh, do uh, each weekend as well. Um, and uh, we want to extend special thanks to Ninja X3i. You can mm-hmm. find the Google Doc that he maintains through that Discord uh, server. Uh, keeps track of a lot of different stats associated with the show, including the recommendations that we've covered and are currently working on. And we would also like to extend special thanks to Steve Manor Target Artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And to Winsleydale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillis for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that do it. I think that's going to do it. We should note next week, I believe, is when we're going to be covering uh, Kaguya-sama. Uh, I want to note that we just spent an extra time on it because I know people want to hear full thoughts. And guys, it's fucking 18 volumes long even it's in english long. like the translated version it's the long series so it's taking a little bit of time to get through it but hopefully we'll have that discussion next week and um yeah i think that's it so um shack got punched through a table oh cool yeah 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 so watch that later but yeah yeah <sighs> All right. Do we just want to end it there? I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, um, I actually did a calculation of how long Bobby Lashley had been in WWE oh. and uh, spent too much time doing that, honestly, because then they just everyone else had already figured how oh. it out. <laughs> you know, whatever. Can I? Can we really appreciate how cool it was that the the Hurt Business as uh, a faction held you know the world title and the tag team championships. It's like kind of a, a cool way to, to close off Black History Month, uh, yeah. uh, a holiday that I feel like WWE has not had particularly great success with in, in past years. Or maybe talking I, about Chris, they they have they have guys you know sit in front of a camera and talk about Black History Month, and um, I guess I'm thinking that's of it. I'm thinking of the one time Stone Cold beat Taz with a belt on like Martin Luther King Day or yeah. something like that, and you're just like. <laughs> They don't have they don't have the best track record of these sorts of things, but I am super happy for Lashley. Although I am a little bummed for Miz, because I, I do think Miz has been a particularly good uh good person. So he won that title to lose it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it. We're gonna stop there. Bye.